Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Scroll Podcast brought to you by the Adventure Archive. My name is Ryan. And I'm William Isnai. And with us today is a very special guest. It is Aaron motherfucking King. Woo! How are you doing this morning, Aaron? I'm good. How about you? I, you know, just wonderful. Not tired Amazing. at all from work or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for those who um, might unfortunately not know who you are or what you've done, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is Aaron King. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron MF King. I write role-playing games and run a lot of role-playing games. And I co-host a podcast called RTFM, which is a book club for RPG books. So we read a book every couple of weeks and record a little podcast about it. And we have a fun little discord. Um, you can find that at rtfmcast.com. So, but, but what does RTFM stand for? <laughs> It stands for read the fucking manual. That's right. Um, it fucking does. Yeah. Well, we're like we're like KFC where we have like we are not standing for anything right now. It's just the letters. Ah, that's, like KFC, ESPN. Like it's right, just right. it's become a, a thing unto itself. Right. MTV. Yeah. 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 So um I guess my first question is is your middle name in fact motherfucking? Because no. everywhere I see <laughs> We were talking about this before. Like, I am just so bad at branding, and I come to things so late that my name is always taken. And so, um, my middle name is Matthew. My best friend in undergrad, his middle name is Francis. And so, for a while, we were writing stuff together, and we used our middle names as initial. It's like a long, boring story. But then, once I started doing that, of course, I guess it stands for motherfucking as well. But that was not the inten intention. Again, just hidden swears throughout my life nothing wrong with that wrong it with is that. funny because like i um <laughs> i have um your some of your stuff off itch um but it was a little confusing because your itch is aaron king right uh e the irish the irish spelling yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, if i could do it all over again i would absolutely become better at branding but at this point I'm just too maybe old. maybe too being tired. bad at branding is your brand, right? You know, you maybe you get massive for. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I you see everyone like, and it's just like all the different, all the different, like, <laughs> yeah, all like one row down. Yeah, people are like <laughs> claiming their names on Mastodon and co-hosts, and I'm just like, I'll get to it eventually, and I won't, and it'll be taken, yeah. and I'll have to come up with something new. So yeah, but that's just being a normal human, you know. It's like. <laughs> Hey, I listen. I I I prepped our lifeboat long ago, and we didn't have to use any underscores or periods or nothing. So, set on uh, set on Instagram, but um, I so I said on Matt. We just talked about Mastodon. So yes. patchwork, patchwork. Yep. Yeah. Uh, would you like Would you like to sum up what Patchwork World is? Yeah, it is uh, an RPG that I wrote and kickstarted for Zine Quest in 2019, I think. Uh, and it is a no stats, no playbook, powered by the apocalypse, weird fantasy RPG. Um, it's like 64 pages long, I think we were just saying. And there's a bunch of extra play materials for players that come with. Uh, and yeah, I think it's it's probably my biggest project to date. Maybe the one that I would be known for if you heard about me somewhere. I'm like a solid F-list 
RPG designer. I'm no. Hey, don't say that. Also, I mean, talk about big too. This is not a small zine. Is this <laughs> is, 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 is this still considered zine? It is bound and stapled. I think wow. so. I'm I'm like a big comic book fan, so I grew up reading like single issue comics, and I always loved like the 64 80 page specials. Um, and I'm also a big fan of like very plain textbook layout for games, um, which doesn't work as well in a small format. I wanted those two columns and the big headings and room for sidebars and stuff. So, gotcha. I mean, yeah, that is exactly that is exactly what Patchwork World is. Right there. So, um, so PBTA, I think that's, that's what it's interesting because there's, there's PBTA and then there's variations of it. This being one of them, like stat list, playbook list, but like, it feels like to me, and maybe I'm wrong, like it leans into the moves, like a lot more than like the stats and the playbooks and things like that. Or like what, like why, First of all, what is what is PBTA? Let's 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 go all the way back to the beginning. What is PBTA? Yeah. Um, Powered by the Apocalypse is the name used for games based on Apocalypse World by Vincent and Meg Baker. Um, if you go to the PBTA subreddit, there's always people saying PBTA isn't a system; it's a design philosophy. You can't design a PBTA system, which is just like weird argument yeah but so some of the common components of pbta games are uh the gm never rolls only players are rolling you are almost always rolling 2d6 just some normal yahtzee dice monopoly dice um, <laughs> and then there are grades of success so on a 10 plus you do the thing you're trying to do you do it the best way possible seven to nine is like a mixed result or like you get it, but only if, uh, and then a six minus is a failure, but in PBTA games, a failure is never, the action stops. Um, the traditional example is like in D&D, if you fail to pick a lock, the door is just still locked. You didn't get it. Um, whereas in a part by the apocalypse game, if you were rolling for that and failed, um, it would imply like the fiction is still moving forward. Something bad happens. So you fail picking the lock and a guard comes around the corner right then and catches you or you do open the lock and the door swings open and your like worst enemy is on the other side so it's less about do you succeed or do you fail and more about does something good propel the narrative forward or does something bad propel the narrative forward so and you really enjoy that yeah i mean that's 2d6 mixed success is like my favorite system yeah, it is like, really your. I, I'm. I definitely am usually like a D twenty roll under, uh, because I'm an entity odd guy. Uh, but like the times that I've run like PBTA based um games, I'm like, oh, it's very satisfying. There is a lot of like, it's fun as the as the game master. You're like, oh, cool, this is a fun way to play. Um, yeah, see, like I get to push you guys forward or push the narrative forward in my own individual way. Um, so I really appreciate that that system for that. Yeah, that's my favorite. That's my favorite part of it right there is like, you know, I, I ran D&D in 5e for, for so long and you can do stuff. I mean, the book says like, here are all these very specific roles, exactly how you should play, but do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, so, you hey, know, don't hold tips. up Patchwork World while you're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, you're okay? right. I'm just, I'm just like grabbing random things on my desk <laughs> at this point, and just like gesturing wildly with them. But, um, um, 
Oh, you know, GM t- DM tips, you know, just hit the hashtag on, on Twitter and you'll find a million of them for a game that really, you know, whatever. Anyway, so um, is things yeah, like, the, like the fail forward, <laughs> fail forward. Yes, but and like and those are things I'm to guess. That's 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 how that's how stories work. That's how games work. That's like, why would you just be like, nope. Now what? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. So I love that. And as when you're prepping things, it feels so much more. Like, first of all, I don't feel like you need to prep as much because, honestly, you have no idea what's going to happen. But it's more fun, like, as a DM to be able to be, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but as soon as something does, I'll figure it out as I go. Like, you know, I also feel like that's a difficulty for people that haven't played that system is that, like, it, it's almost like paralysis by by um, choice. Yeah, well, like, you have literally infinite possibilities, so, like, pick one real quick and, like, keep it going, you know? So that was kind of the difficult part for me, but once you get it down, it's so much fun. Yeah, I I mean, I ran 5e as well for years, and it does feel good to, like, have a monster block to fall back on, or, like, a room description, but also prepping a monster block takes so long and like finding <laughs> all the, you know they don't even have the spell descriptions you also have to find the spells um and so it just i felt so burnt out um especially if like then i spent all that time prepping and they wanted to go somewhere else or they didn't want to engage with that um and so kind of lighter uh, light no kidding oh <laughs> uh, it's right. like the, the i don't know if like i've been told this by so many people like when i was dungeons when i was dming for dnd it's just like, yeah, you know, your players really are never going to see like 70% of what you prep. Um, and it's just like, oh, well, that fucking sucks. Yeah. I wrote this yeah. whole guy's narrative backstory to make him a full-fledged character, and you guys didn't even talk to this guy? Yep. But they talked to that random piece of shit nobody you just made up on the oh. spot and have no name for every fucking Insane. time. It's a meme, but it's a meme because it's fucking true. Like, every time. It literally got to a point where I was just like, Bob... Ted, Bill, you're just going to get like a three or four. Like, I don't care if it doesn't fit. His name is Bob. And in the next campaign, the next one you reach is Bob. Like, I, and my players learned if it's like Bob or Bill or whatever, this person does not matter. Please stop like engaging with this part of the story. That's fucking my stuff up. Um, but so, uh, so Patchwork World, like it's, it is like a PBTA game, but it's also like this can like very, very good guide to running like a story game like a like a narrative game to like actively building a narrative like as you play with your table um are you like a are you more so like my 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 table currently is is like a dungeon crawling like you know they're gonna die and they don't invest a lot maybe into the story a lot of the time are your tables mainly more like narrative and story driven and character driven um so I started running 5e like as it was coming out when the player's handbook came out and it was like stranger things and people were suddenly curious about it. And I had been reading for years, a bunch of OSR blogs. Um, And so I thought like, Oh, that's how the game is run. Like I had internalized all those blogs, but when the rubber hit the road, these people just wanted to like hang out and be goofy, which is great. Like that's a style of fun and I love it. And they were not interested in managing light sources or even like necessarily strategizing. Like they didn't want to engage with it as a board game. They wanted to engage with it as like a bunch of funny levers and buttons to push and pull and see what happens, Um, which is great. Like 
that is often how I play games as well. And so Patrick World, really, a lot of its genesis was like, I want to write a game for these people that I'm playing this game with every week. Like we played for six or seven years, roughly every week or so. And it really did kind of show the, the limits of 5e as something that was helping me every week. Like I did not feel helped. I did not really, you know, it took so much time to make it do what we wanted. And so um, yeah. I just thought like, this is my, I'm going to write my dream game. You know, fantasy heartbreakers are a thing that gets thrown around, but I just thought I'm going to write a game for these people that I play with. Like I'm going to put everything that I've learned in it, but also it's like for them, it's for these people that are busy. Like they have full-time jobs and spouses or kids. They have ADHD, they have anxiety. They don't like keeping track of a ton of numbers. Like, if they just want to pull these levers and push these buttons, how can I make that fun and exciting and like keep the spotlight there and encourage them to do that? Yeah. I feel like if you, if you read patchwork worlds <clears throat> as a player or a game master, you like, it gives you a really good foundation for like, yeah, ask questions, what the communities look like, like what are your goals? Like, um, what are some of the other ones that I read? There were a lot of really good ones. Just like the asking like internal and external questions um, about what's going on. I was like, wow, it's like a really good mentality to instill in somebody when they're playing a tabletop game. That's a cooperative story. Um, but well, it's interesting because like, it's a massive part of the Patrick World. Yeah, huge part. Well, not only that, I wrote Primer for PBTA. Like as someone who's played like variations of different PBTA games, I read this and I went just like, I wish I had read this before I had ever played any yeah, PBTA game with this, because totally. the the does it it in a very concise like really well done way like it describes like mixed success it describes like how to fail forward with mixed success it describes like all of like the aspects of what makes PBTA a, a system because it's a system guys um and uh -huh. and how to do it like well without feeling like overwhelming you know what I mean because like the first PBTA that I played was uh monster of the week and I kind of bounced off of it um for a couple of different reasons and if I had read this first, I feel like I would have been able to engage with it a lot, a lot more effectively. It was also, you know, I was also running like three 5e games a week and then suddenly tried to just <laughs> jump into jump into this. And was just like even in character creation, I was looking for like, you know, 5e is so um, designed around like the character build. So it was a very different uh, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, as a primer for PTA, even if you do something different, maybe it has stats or playbooks or whatever, I feel like this is just a good read even just for that to be like, oh, okay, I understand these concepts. Like, it makes it so easy to get that. Thank you. And like, you know, I just want to put out there that like the concepts are there in Apocalypse World. I love Apocalypse mm -hmm. World, but it is, you know, it's a longer book. It's written in a very specific, like post-apocalyptic fuck you voice that can make it a little hard to filter out the info that you actually need um but like vincent and meg baker are really good just as game designers definitely look into them if you're interested and then the other person i always want to shout out is uh brandon leon gambetta who came up with the role with the questions kind of iteration on powered by the apocalypse um 
his game that did it, it was a funny thing where he was writing this game. It's called Passion de las Passiones, and it's about like telenovelas and soap operas. Um, Very cool. It's really good. And it sounds like, awesome. PVP elements of like, you know, trying to <laughs> hog the camera time and get the audience to appreciate you more. It's a great game. He started writing it and released like an Ashcan version of it. It got picked up by a big publisher. And so it got kickstarted and then lots of rounds of edits. And it only just came out. So I felt kind of bad to like see his system get permission to use it and then release something before he actually released his full book. So please go check out Pasión de las Pasiones. It's out now. Uh, it's really good. I mean, I, that sounds awesome because, you know, the the only time I really see like a lot of the telenovelas is we have like the um, like the one Spanish channel in America. You know, what I'm talking about. I can't remember what it's called, but um, sometimes at work, I work in a hospital, um, and I'll swing by, and that's exactly what we get is like the telenovela. Like you can see the very classical soap stuff going on, and I'm like, damn, I wish I had paid attention a little bit more in Spanish class in high school and college, and like all of like my job where I've had to speak Spanish. So. Oh, Magpie Games picked it up. Yes. Oh, oh that's that's good. It's a big deal. It's a yeah, it's a, it's a great yeah. game. I I'm glad it it's getting support and is finally out. And oh, uh, I'm so gonna check this out. Thanks a lot for suggesting this. This sounds like something that's hilarious and dumb, and I love stuff like that. Yeah, like clever dumb, not dumb yeah. dumb. No, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna. I think uh, Bear tried to throw it in here. Oh, dude, I have seen this. Here, let me throw the link because I think uh, anyone besides us, it just comes up as like three stars. So, yeah, we <laughs> threw the link in the chat. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, you know, one of the things that I really like about this and one of the reasons when I, like I said, I bounced off of um, Monster of the Week. One, because it's just not really my genre. I'm like very one dimensional. I like fucking mud, blood, edgelord bullshit. I really do. Um, it speaks to my soul and it frees me. But um, so like just like. The, the whole kind of like hunt a monster kind of thing didn't really do it for me, but the um, basic moves was something that bothered me that I think like I took like an instant oh, it, dislike to. It really did bother you. <laughs> oh my God, it, it still bothers me to this day. Like, and for no real, like real reason, but like, I don't necessarily hold a grudge, but when I don't like something, I'll just like cut it out. Um, it's, I felt so, I was like, this system feels like it's so wide open. I have infinite possibilities, except I have these like six or seven moves in front of me. And the way, I don't know if it was like the way the GM was doing it, or it was specifically Monster of the Week. And if it's different than Apocalypse World, because I'm gonna be honest, I've never read Apocalypse World. Um, I felt like everyone at the table was like, okay, I can do anything I want, but I have to speak in the language of these moves and describe it in a way that fits within these seven moves. And I was like, I hate that. Like I have all, I can do anything I want, except I have to fit it within these like seven, like a genre, like archetypes of moves or whatever. So people wouldn't even be like, well, I want to do this. They'd be like, I want to kick some ass, like by doing this. And I'm like, what, like what, why, why, you know? So that, that is one thing that really um, kind of drove me away from it. And Patrick world doesn't really have that. Was there like a, um, a distinct choice to be like let's not be contained by this because you also got rid of stats and stuff too like what what made you want to do the variations of patrick world versus like the other like the maybe like the post pbta patrick world versus like the pbta of like apocalypse world 
Yeah, I think there's like a first wave of PBTA games like Monster of the Week, like Dungeon World that um, were just kind of like, we're going to do this, but a different genre. And it didn't quite benefit from like a full, uh, I don't want to call them, I don't want to be mean to them. I don't want to say they're half-assed, but it's just sort of like, let's just try to fit this thing onto this existing structure um, without really kind of thinking. Right, exactly. Um, But I think PBTA games as presented do kind of have that problem where you give the player a menu and you say, you can do anything. It doesn't have to be on this menu. But then you look at the menu and it's again like button pressing, like, well, this is here. I want to do it. Um, and it's a very, it's, I don't know if it's a, a problem with how they're taught or how they're explained, but it comes up a lot um, in trying to run these games. I think, like, to me, I start connecting it to more, again, like old OSR stuff or is it free Kriegspiel, like the FKR? this kind of free play oh, like the literally like we're not even playing a game at this point kind of stuff yeah yes um like really referees making rulings kind of thing um where if you have someone good running a pbta game they are reminding you like you don't just have to do moves and then if someone says something i think that a hard idea for a lot of people is if someone says something and it's not covered by a move Sorry, my upstairs neighbors, I don't know what they're doing. I they're don't dancing. know if they can hear it, but uh, uh, anyway, like if you if you do something and it, it does not trigger a move, the person running the game could just say, cool, it happens, you do it. Um, yeah. And I've, I've played games with people and they're like, wait, what, I don't have to roll? And I said, well, I don't know. I mean, if you want to, if you want to try to fit it to one of these moves or if you want some of these specific consequences listed here, we can try to do that, but also like, if your character just wants to play a piano sonata really well, like that doesn't affect the drama of the game. You don't gain superpowers by it. You don't mentally enslave someone with the power of your piano playing, like tell us about this piano song kind of thing. Um, and I've had players coming from D&D be like, oh, I just feel too powerful. I can just do things without rolling. Yeah, and I don't so- have to roll to see the room around me, you know? <laughs> and so, oh, yeah, yeah I think I think... I think a lot of those problems come from like certain play cultures um, and just uh. it's, it's, it's hard to move from I'm rolling perception. I'm rolling insight that I don't trust the DM. They're going to spring something on me to a more kind of cooperative, like we're just all trying to have fun here. Yeah. Uh, well, you know- I see. I, I like moves. Like I don't hate them. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think how you use them is, is, Important, like I've played Broken Worlds, which is the Kill Six Billion Demons, the web comic that I constantly talk about. It's that PBTA. Yeah. Uh, and so there are, there's like a move list, and it's all stuff that's very thematic for that universe that puts you very much like in the narrative of that universe. But like, if you're like, well, I want to do this, I'm like, well, that, I mean, that fits this move. Um, and I guess if it doesn't, yeah, if it doesn't fit anyone, who cares? I'm just going to let you roll 2d6 and we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll give you a modifier if it seems something like within your character's like you know realm but yeah the the hardcore pbtairs would tell you don't do that if it doesn't i, I would not move, listen to them so if it doesn't well, trigger a move you never roll you just you know and it's it's again like the different play cultures are very strange yeah. about certain so things i think that's part of i mean that's kind of part of the problem too a little bit is a couple of things like 
first is that concept, right? The PBTAers that are like, it's not a system, but you have to you have to be very specific to exactly the system, right? And like, <laughs> so when you're like, you have to do it in this very specific way. Like, I remember, I didn't people get all freaking up in arms about Dungeon World and be like, that's not how you do this. Like, that is not a real, you know, whatever. So like, the I think the other problem is like, you know, there's a lot of finesse to it. And I feel like a lot of that finesse comes from the DM and comes from rules language. And we've talked about a lot on the podcast before where the, the language in which a game uses to explain things, um, whether it is overtly or more subtly, um, whether um, it influences the way people play the game. It's like fifth, fifth edition, for example, like it says you don't have to use minis, but gives you five foot squares for fucking everything. That's right. You don't have to, but here is exactly. So yes. So yes, you do. Like, that's the thing. And it says, here are these very specific, very strict rules that we even go to Twitter to, to uh, officiate (laughs) because there has to be a specificity to it. But here's a page on page three that says, do whatever you want, play it however you want. That's just not how it works. Like the language in which a game is written influences the way in which the game is played. So like, when you have this language for PBTA that says like, here are seven moves, right? And when you do something, you roll if it triggers one of these moves, but also you can do anything you want. There's like, but can, but can I, you know, and that's kind of why I've, I've kind of started moving away from even liking roll tables because what I would find a lot is it's like, make up any character you want, but here is a roll table of, of three roll tables of six things. People will always just roll on the roll tables and you end up with the same six things over and over again. It's like, well, how about we just do a list instead so people don't feel the need to roll on it, which gives them a solution, which is what they then will use. Let's just give them a list. And maybe not all have six, maybe six and one and five and one to seven and one. And people will be like, oh, there's there's more. I can do more to it. Um, and that was one of the other problems I, I kind of had with like the, the or that first wave PBTA is like it was felt so restrictive. And I'm like, the system lets me do anything. Why is it so restrictive to me? You know, you got to so, free your own um, minds. That's what it is. So <laughs> no, I, I think a I lot of it, know. too, is that the GMs need to push that kind of narrative that you said where it's like we'll just do whatever you want then so, but if you don't have a gm that's really experienced in the system it makes it a lot harder for the players to learn the system too i feel like the teaching of it versus reading the book is really important so one of, one yeah, of the games and- we played a ton actually is is victory basic um which is kind of like a dungeon world hack um which is one of my first pbtas i really like fell in love with it mixes like osr like stats and stuff like that gets rid of playbooks entirely you have more of like a character sheet gets rid of moves entirely you can do everything you want and and as far as like dming and gming it has character advancement the same way but it keeps that whole like make success fail forward kind of aspect to it so i was like oh cool like i can dungeon delve but still just use make success as kind of like the basic system without all of that other restrictive stuff and i kind of felt the same with patrick world good thank you yeah i it's funny. I mean, we were talking about like, oh, the stat block can be useful. Like it can be a crutch. It can help you, but it can also be restricting. I personally, like I love GM principles and rules and stuff in PBTA because if I feel lost, I can fall back on those. But um, it took me so long to internalize that and to feel supported by it instead of just like, oh, here's all this stuff I have to keep track of. And so... Yeah, I don't I think 
again, it's just weird play culture things. I have spent, like, I spent years running a game for two of my best friends, and it's just the two of them. And um, years running a three person game? Yeah, I love it. It's, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Every every character gets so much spotlight because it's only two people. Yeah. You don't waste a lot of time being like, should we do this? No, I want to do this. No, I want to do this. Um, but we spent a lot of time. I mean, there were there was, you know, in in narrative time, but we also spent a lot of time just kind of talking about like, oh, is this what my character would want to do? Does do we feel like this triggers a move? Do and we would like co-write moves in the game, just like very slow play. Um, and I feel like that really helped me get used to the system, the philosophy of PBTA stuff in a way that, oh, I'm just running a one-shot for some friends. Uh, that's the time when all the rules for PBTA stuff like can almost get in the way, like you were saying of like, I don't want all this stuff. Like, I just want to roll some dice and see someone get crunched by a lizard man. Like, I don't know. And so I think, um, kind of stripping the cruft, pulling away all that stuff that has kind of bogged down some of the longer games in PBTA is happening now in the same way that people have been doing that with OSR stuff as well. I was going to ask, do you think like running, and I I think the answer to this uh, can be obviously yes, but like running PBTA or like a PBTA style game for so long um, has helped you like really internalize those rules and like really crystallize how to run it well. I think so. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's always people saying like, Oh, I'm so nervous to DM. What do I do? How do I do this? How do I do this? And the, I mean, there are, you can try to explain, here's how to start a game. Here's how to keep people on track or whatever. But the answer is almost always like, how to just do it. Like just do it for 10,000 hours, fuck up a bunch, have friends there that will like support you. uh, But just do it until you know how to do it. And it's the same as like, getting a new job or learning a new skill it's like ah just get in there it's gonna feel awkward you're gonna fall but like eventually you'll get a handle on it yeah and that very becomes cool. fun i mean yeah going back to the victory basic when i when i started running it i was actually we ran it on stream and i had sursa um, the the writer for it in Discord with me while I was playing, so I could be like, yeah, "What do we do now?" And he, the one of the things that like when it clicked for me was when um, the players walked into a room and there was a chest in the room, but there were these giant, um, um, uh, I want to say corpse caterpillars, but that is very wrong. Carrying uh, crawlers. Car- carrying crawl. I kept saying carcass. I meant carrying crawlers. And I was like, okay, so like when characters do something that triggers like something like roll and then fell forward or whatever. So they were like, okay, we just walk past. And I was like, okay, well, they're not attacking. They're just walking. So like, shit, like, what do I, what do I, like, what do I do? And I literally was like, what the fuck do I do? And he was like, well, like have them do like an agility, like, like, what are they doing? And then like have a roll, right? So they're like, okay, well, if they're walking past, it's kind of like a stealth thing. So like do agility roll. And I was like, oh, because what clicked in my head, I was like, they're, they're always the one, like it's the consequences of their actions, right? And that's what it was always said on my head. It's the consequences of their actions. So on my head, I was like, they're not doing an action. They're just walking by. And then he was like, no, they are. Like, they're trying to sneak past carrying crawlers. That is an action. Have them do the role. You can initiate the role based on the character's actions. It It was like, uh, it was right after the fountain. 
You guys were the where the chest oh, the was chest that had, the, ruby had the, the jewel eye thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, yeah. Victory Basic, and that game fucking slaps. It fucks. Actually, yeah. so. So, I just wrote um, it down because I was like, I gotta remember but, this one. <laughs> but um the the thing in my head that clicked where I was just like, their actions trigger the consequences, but you can still ask for the roles. I was like, it all settled in my brain. Now it makes sense. Like we can still do this. Okay, now we're good. And then it all and then it was so much fun after that. Like again, that's why it's my favorite system. So Yeah, the the like PBTA principle is like, you know, the GM makes a move when the players fail a role, uh or when they look to you to see what happens. So if some if the players are like, Oh, we're in this room, what's in here? That's when the GM can make a move. But the one I love is when they give you a golden opportunity, which is just like, oh, these players are just casually walking through the dungeon. That's a golden opportunity. Time to like introduce to them now the potential dangers of this dungeon. Like you, you do not actually get to casually walk through. You kind of, <laughs> you know, you hint at future badness. You say like, oh, you see a corpse in front of you. The last idiot that tried to just like saunter down here, you know, and then that can snowball. And um, But it is... Like you said, it's like, wait, what the fuck? There's no, I don't roll. I don't roll an attack. What am I supposed to do? Um, yeah. It's a weird hump to get over for sure. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I highly encourage it. Once you do get over that and it clicks and you feel comfortable, if you're the kind of GM that really likes improv and really has, like Connor was one of my players in the game and he's a great player. When you have a good group of players and you really enjoy Terrible like player. My, interacting. I'm a shit player. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But when you really have a good group of players and you enjoy the interaction and like the banter and like the playing off of each other, like that's when you're like, oh man, like I couldn't, you can't have more fun in my opinion as a GM than this kind of system where God, you're- stop. Guys, stop. I'm, I'm running a game right now. I don't want to need, I don't need to switch games mid game, darn it. Uh, <laughs> maybe you do, maybe you do. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so, hey, listen. Uh, I, I'm just saying real quick. Um, that we might have had a Christian Sorrell in chat saying he would really love to to play some Patrick World. So we might need to uh, set something up. I'll run. Yeah. It. I'll do Little it. Creator cut. There you go. <laughs> um. So switching gears from this like very PBTA focused talk. Um. The patchwork world. The actual setting. Um. Can you kind of talk about what the patchwork world is and the, your the your inspiration for like its origin yeah it's like I, a very interesting like conceptual setting you know thank you i'm actually i'm like usually i'm anti-lore anti-setting i don't like okay. telling other people do this here um <clears throat> and so i mean growing up i was a big fan of planescape for advanced dungeons and dragons which was very much like oh you're in a fantasy world but now you can go to hell and now you can go to the magical forest where all the animals talk and it's just like limitless possibilities yeah i mean uh, i'm a big fan of the infinite staircase so yeah it's just like such a fun setting and like here's the infinite plane made of gears and the weird little robot meat robots that run it <laughs> just the, the idea that you know you could open a door and fall through and be somewhere completely different was always really cool to me um and I think I just started, you know, the idea of all that stuff being infinite is very hard. It's as we've been talking about like choice paralysis and stuff saying like, everything's out there and everything's impossibly huge. What do you want to do? And it's like, I don't know. I want to do everything, but I don't have time. Um, and 
So a lot of that came from that, like how can I take infinite possibilities and make them more finite? Uh, so the Patrick world is a world where like everything was ending and someone was just like, oh, I got to grab the bits that I can. And so you'll have a desert next to a forest, next to a hell place. Um, and a lot of that just came from too, like living through Trump and like living in Minneapolis during the uprisings and stuff of just like, things feel really bad, things feel like they're ending, but like what then do we choose to like focus on and how do we pick what we want to save or focus on in a time when things feel impossible to like maybe think of a good future. Um, right. So there's a lot of that in there. And also just a lot of like, I don't wanna be committed to politics in a castle. What if I get a bug up my butt to do a desert adventure? Yeah. Uh, I can just do it now. Like there's a weird place over there. I can send people to that. Um, and again, just like OSR inspiration, I love the idea of hex crawls and, um, you know, there's all those fun tables in old D and D for like, here's the river monsters. Here's the swamp monsters. And yeah, I, just, totally. I wanted to use them all. I wanted to get a chance <laughs> to visit all those different places. Um, I want Here's the dinosaur place. Great. Ride a dinosaur. Next session, we're doing a river run on a raft. Like, um, and so that's what my intention was in uh, running that setting. Like I ran it for years and, um, you know, there is the temptation to say like, here's what I ran. Here's the world. Here's the lore. Here's the rules. Here's the people there in the places. But, um, again, I hate those really long lore Bibles. I both love and hate them. I shouldn't yeah. say I hate them, but it's just like, where's the gameable bits? So I try to just take the things that had inspired me, make them gameable, make them useful for DMs. That's why there's a lot of tables with names or places or like uh, area descriptions instead of saying, now they're entering the, the kingdom of the swamp and that's where they find this particular ruin. It's more about maybe put a ruin in the swamp. I don't know. Here's some possibilities. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, it's uh, there are a lot of appendices uh, in this book that are like, I mean, they're not. It's none all, of them are like it's all in, appendices. Yeah, none of them are insanely long, and they're all like, yeah, very gameable, very like I can just look, roll, and and we got it, you know. Um, yeah, I also just like the. I think, like, as someone who likes to read, like, I love lore, but when you're at a table with players, like, it's really like they don't. They're most of the time they're not going to read your lore bible <laughs> so i think this whole like patrick world's laid out and like if you understand that it's a bunch of different stuff and it changes it constantly and like even places you've been already can change when you go back um like i really appreciate that and i was like that's a fun way to like play a game for people who are going to buy in enough to enjoy that you know and um, again like i love the super realistic gritty dungeon crawling i just don't have the play group for that i don't yeah. have enough friends that are like yes we can get down on this time to do it i have friends who are just like who did we talk to last session i don't care anymore you know like you were saying like where's this we talked to that blue guy let's go visit him i'm tired of this castle i'm tired of this town let's go somewhere else and just like i wanted some tools to support people just like being a flippity gibbet and kind of doing whatever they want and so i get to do that and i am lucky enough to have other friend groups that will try different games with me i've been getting into dcc i love you know some of that crunchy dirty stuff as well 
Um, and speaking of other games you've written for and written, um, you know, first there's, I mean, still kind of within the PBTA realm, you've written some stuff with Adam Vass for uh, for Babes in the Wood. I was, yeah, I was a consultant. <laughs> um, Adam is super nice, gave me one of my first freelance jobs, like in the industry we met just before the pandemic at Big Bad Con. It was super cool. Um, I saw, I got to see him recently when Law Dispute was coming through Minneapolis we got some vegan fried chicken. Um, but Babes in the Wood is super fun. I really, I liked running it. I've run it a few times. And when he was doing the second edition, we just like kind of sat down on a call and talked through some stuff. So I don't know that I technically wrote. Well, I I did. No, I wrote a little yeah. section for no, it. No morning. 36 from outer space. Yeah, it was in like, there's like a, a little like all hallow zine. I'm yes. literally looking at it, right? It says by Aaron King, AaronKing.h.io, right. no 36 from outer space. Back, right, that came later. But uh, yeah, when he was kickstarting the second edition, we got to just hang out and chat about kind of just what we're talking about of like, what's the philosophy here? What's the moves? What do you want people to do? Um, and just had a really nice like download and talk about that. Um, my long, long two-player game, we started with Apocalypse World. They were on like a ship that was going through space forever, eventually crashed. And then we did a bunch of little vignette games to like establish them on this new world. And one of them was a few sessions of Babes in the Wood where these kids are like celebrating the landfall holiday a year later. And they're on this, you know, still kind of new planet, creepy going through the woods kind of stuff. And so uh big fan big fan of adam about to run some cyber metal soon big fan of babes in the wood yeah yeah we're all big i'm i'm not wearing i had his the i'm not like i'm not afraid to die shirt that has fucking snoopy on it with it i was wearing it the other day oh yeah that's the other one my friend's like what is that shirt i'm like it's amazing don't question it yeah yeah. well even even this one i'm like it's a fucking baby with barbed wire and has nowhere on it that say anything about world champ or adam but it fucking fucks like this this shirt is awesome Um, like yeah world champ um, game co check it out yeah Oh yeah, we we have we have declared many times this is an out of ass stand podcast, and we yeah, will not back down from that. So, yeah. um, and uh, not only that, um, uh, a, a game with like a, I guess a little bit of an interesting story behind some of it is uh, Speedrun is another uh, kind of like big game that you put out. So the game that uh, Chaosium does not want you to play, right? Um, it's funny because I, I I remember like seeing it, and then I was like, okay, don't forget to download this. It's in like one of thirty like like screens on my phone so i yeah. went back to it and it was just gone and i i tweeted you or like i messaged you and was just like hey um i, I was trying to download this game and it's just gone what's up and you're like oh yeah. uh it's gone baby's first cease and desist um <laughs> it's a it's a badge of honor now yeah speed rune is um so rune quest is a classic rpg it's kind of the second rpg people might say um it is Bronze Age fantasy, like ancient world fantasy. Um, and I really like it. I like RuneQuest. But again, my friends will never play RuneQuest because it's like there's no classes, so it's hard to make a character. It's hard to, you know, you have to visualize it from the ground up. There's hit locations, so every time you hit someone, you maybe have to dodge. And then if you hit them, you have to roll where you hit them. And there's different hit points for each arm and leg. Like it's just this crunchy game simulationist game um but i love the idea of like this uh, you know something set in the ancient world like before even 
history as we know it, uh, where people are like learning to forge new metals and running around in sandals. And there's no, you know, there's no nation. Like it appeals to me that there's like no uh, superpower. You're just stuck in your, in your clan, your family and stuff. Um, and you call on the power of the runes to do magic and everyone knows a little bit of magic. And there's like a midwife that can heal your broken bones or whatever. And so I thought, well, I'll just make a little, a little game, a little demake, as Willie Yopst calls them, of like, how can I get what I love about this game to my friends that have ADHD or whatever? <laughs> and so I made this game called Speed Rune, and I used some runes from RuneQuest, but I was putting it out for free. I thought it would just be like, you know, when people put Mickey Mouse on a zine or whatever, like, I'm not infringing on their products. I'm not, you know... I've, uh, I would want people to go buy RuneQuest Adventures to run in Speedrun, but I guess someone narked on me and I got a cease. They sent a cease and desist to itch.io and they took my game down. Um, well, congratulations on the cease and desist, you know, like <laughs> yeah. hey, what, a good, what a solid moment, you know? Real punk rock, but uh, I fixed it. It's back up. Sans runes, there are no rune fonts in there. You'll have to use your imagination to think about what these runes look like. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a really fun game. I just finished running like a full, it's, it's a seasonal game. So there's five seasons and each season you do an adventure and then you have a downtime action. Um, so time passes very quickly and I just finished my first kind of full year campaign running for some people. And it was, I think a lot of fun. I think it's a good game. I, it's super enjoyable. I really like it i mean i don't know how to describe it besides that like it's it's i've never played runequest i've never read runequest i don't know anything about runequest but as soon as i read this i was like i would play the shit out of this game like this is really great and it's really interesting because like you know i i've started trying to catch up on your podcast a little bit and i remember the episode where i don't remember whether you said it or whether uh max said it but specifically was giving you shit about like not liking lore and i was just like oh that's interesting um and then i remember like patrick world where i'm like this I, what's great about Patrick World is how little lore is there, but how easy it is to build on it. Like, it's just kind of like, kind of do whatever you want. Here is the, here is, you know, kind of the pitch for it and then just go. And I felt like Speedrun um, does a, another thing too. And again, I've never read RuneQuest. So I don't know if it's just like the parts of RuneQuest or whatever, but it's like these like five concepts. That's about the lore and now go. And then you have the season and stuff like that. I, I really love how, you know, even though you say you're like not a lore fan, like how you distill it in such a way that like you still completely understand like the setting and what you're going for without having, you know, something that's like you know, 500 pages long. Yeah. And I don't want to talk shit. Like for me, it's the joy of like when you first see Star Wars and you're just like overwhelmed with all these cool alien freaks. And then you like go get a novel about it. And it's like, we're going to spend... 50 pages on this one alien freak and he's like a dad i don't know it's just like when you start to develop that lore it's almost never as good as what you first imagined and you know i spent my time as a teenager like reading star wars encyclopedias it was a joyful experience for me i don't want to <laughs> besmirch anyone who does anything like that or enjoys that um i just eventually started to realize like oh i was having more fun just imagining these things I don't need to read another 400 page novel about Boba Fett. 
I see. I'm more of a I'm more of a YouTube video Star Wars guy, where I'm just like listening to hours of lore dumps on YouTube videos. So. Right, and I still listen to a more civilized age ape Star Wars podcast. Like I'm again, I'm not trying to talk trash about <laughs> people who enjoy lore or go on deep dives. Um, I think I enjoy sometimes reading the lore or learning about it, but like you were saying, the idea of like getting it to the table and getting it to the players in a way that like excites them or engages them or makes them interact with it. That's so hard. Cause I don't want to give them the 500 page book. I don't want to give them homework. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, they won't, they won't I read would, it. I mean, most of the time they won't, you know, like they won't, I, I would love to, <laughs> one of my, you know, and, and we talked about four E a little bit behind you. Cause you got a nice shelf of four E stuff there. To, to bring this in a very roundabout tangent, one of my, my favorite book from 4th edition, one of my favorite D&D books of all times, is the 4E Minza Branson book. Um, that's like the oh guide God. to the city of Minza Branson. So, that so is your fucking favorite. Yeah, and it's like how to run like a drow campaign, like where you're actually playing as <laughs> drow. And like my, I love um, a lot of the R.A. Salvatore writing, but I, I hate Drist with so much deep passion. <laughs> like, it hurts me. I hate, I because I also hate Superman. I feel like both of them are very, like, flat characters that will, like, always win and always do the right thing, and it just irritates the shit out of me. Um, so I hate Drist a whole lot, but I love the books that are just about, like, the fucked up drow world. So, one actually, after I first met Hunter, this is years and years ago, I wanted to run a game, and I wanted to run people that have pretty much never played any type of D&D before. Some of them had, some hadn't, as, like, an evil drought campaign. And I'm like, they're not going to get this. But I was like, if you would just read these three novels... I, re- I, read, totally... the, I read the lore binder you made for us. So. I, did, I did, and I still have one. I literally have, like, binders have I made. Oh, yeah, I still have them. Of course I do. I, I would love to run the campaign eventually. But, like, I literally was like, if you could just read these three books, then you'll totally get it. And they're like, absolutely not. Like, we're not doing that. And I was like, well, God damn it. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe the next group. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I feel like lore that way would be almost better. It's just like, here's a system, but also here's a novel that comes with it. And this school kind of like be more fun Keeping to kind of get into separate. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Man, I like, we're talking, we're just, we keep talking about PPTA and like everything is so good about it. And I really want to run Broken Worlds again. But that's another one where it's like, dude, seriously, if you just go to kill6billiondemons.com and just like read like the first five books. You know, and like it's free, man. Just go online and read it, and that way you'll know what's going on. And the- <laughs> totally get the setting and everything. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's in so. print too. I I hate reading digitally, so I have. I think I have. Hold on. Yeah. It's in print. You can get it. It's here. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh look at that. Yeah. That's so funny. I, yes, I have Dude. yet to even visit the website. No matter how much she talks about it, so I'm really glad one of you guys. It's has. So good, God, you're so, you're making such a mistake. Book five. Maybe one day. Done. I got I got I got ten other things on my list that I'm not doing <laughs> that I need to also not do before I not do that as well. So I'll get to not doing it <laughs> at some point. You know what I mean? Bro, I'm gonna read it too. <laughs> You know the what? Let's book, fucking do it. Yeah. If we'll just get on a call and I'll just like be not doing the things I should be not doing, and then <laughs> you can just read it to me over the phone. That would be that would be the ideal way for me to consume that that media. Um. So so <laughs> even beyond that, now what uh, you you've done more. We talked about it a little bit at the start of the stream. The um uh RTFM read the fucking manual podcast. You are also a podcaster. Um with uh with Max. Uh, yeah. Max Lander, not Wellander. Right, um, it's Maxwell. 
Lander. Lander. But it, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, what, uh, yeah. what got you into first, like that podcast and like, how do you know Max and, and, you know, uh, what specifically made you go, I, at least for the first couple of episodes that I've read, go, listen, here's this book that we think is terrible. Let's read it and just rip the shit out of it for like an hour. Um, what? It does get a bit more positive in the future, mm -hmm. only because there, we are taking so much psychic damage from reading so many things we did not like. <laughs> so yeah. if, if the appeal is you hear us be mean to books, that does... I mean, it still comes back eventually. We will always <laughs> end up reading a bad book here and there, but it, it becomes less of the main focus later on in the podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been buying and reading RPGs. I grew up in a town of 500 people, and so I didn't have people to play games with. Um, but I would take my allowance to the Walden Books, to the nearby mall, like we would drive 40 minutes to the town nearby, and I'd spend my allowance. And I could never really afford like, a full you know i would save up maybe christmas i would get the player's handbook for ad and d or something but other than that i would be buying like dragon magazine and dungeon magazine because what i could afford and just like reading them the hobby for me knowing that i wouldn't really get to play was reading them um and so that's always been like in the back of my brain i didn't really get to play rpgs until i was like after i dropped out of college and then eventually gone back um so reading them like as books has always been interesting to me. Uh, Will Yopst, who is the co-host of the Brain Trust podcast with Adam right. Bass, uh, talks about games archaeology. And Will really loves Gamma World, which was like the first sci-fi mutant fucko D&D kind of game. And they ran a game um, of it. And they talk a lot about like just trying to approach the game like being honest to it and just trying to approach it in a way that it wants to be approached and like yes it's arcane and weird but what if we actually spent the time to like play with it the way we are instructed to as like a learning experience so that was in the back of my head um i met max during the pod uh, during the pandemic we've never met in real life uh, max lives in halifax in canada and we both met in the brain trust discord and would play games together every once in a while. Um, and eventually we were just like, well, it's still the pandemic. We still want to hang out. Let's do a podcast, like just as an excuse to spend time together. Um, so yeah, every two weeks now we read an RPG book, usually something a little older, uh, often something a little like obscure or arcane. And we record like an hour long episode talking about it. Um, it's been really fun. It started as just, like I said, a way to hang out. We did not have any expectations for uh, recognition or anything like that. But now we have a little Discord. We run some games there. And we are, this year, kickstarting a game together for Zine Month for February. Oh, yeah. Nice. So what, what, what do we, what do we, what do we, what yeah. are we kickstarting? Like, do we uh, want to get to that now? Like, what, <laughs> like I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, Wait, it's what, we... pretty recent. Like literally two weeks ago, Max said, "Oh shit, should should we do something for Zine Month?" <laughs> and uh, we were like, "Yes." Um, so this is, uh, it's like a flip book. There's a name for it in French, but it's like the book there. You get the middle, you get to the middle, and then you are done with it, and you flip it over, and it's a new book on the other side. Oh, um, I got it. So yeah, he's doing one game. I'm doing another game. Um, Max's game is called Hand Baskets, and it's like a 
both of these games actually started as we read Cyber Metal by Adam Vass and wanted to, we were so inspired, we immediately started making a game, like trying to capture those vibes or just trying to capture that inspiration of that feeling, you know, of like, oh, I read this. It feels good to have read this. Can I make something that feels good for someone else to read? So um, Max's is like a battle royale, PVP elements, like cyber witchcraft. Um, we've been playtesting it and it's like, a set of, of games, like a set of locations with uh, different goals for the players and different secrets and stuff. And, cool. um, you know, you are, it's very violent. You're killing each other. You're pushing people into pools and electrocuting the pools. And, um, but if you die, you just get re-sleeved into a random body to rejoin the game kind of thing. Um, and so that's very fun. You know, there's like, ARG elements or uh, augmented reality elements of like things are flashing in the sky and you're trying to get to the new points. Uh, I've never played Fortnite, but I imagine it's like, what if Fortnite was cool? What if Fortnite had <laughs> demons and like a lot of gore? Hey, listen, uh, plenty of plenty of twelve year olds will tell you Fortnite's cool as shit. You know, I, you know it might be cool. I'm old. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, drawing from like battle royale, Squid Game stuff like that. So that's Max's contribution. And then my side is, uh, it's called In a Mirror Brightly. And it's based on, it's not based on. It is, again, like I wanted to make a game that was like uh, The Matrix or also The Invisibles, the comic by Grant Morrison and a bunch of artists mm. or uh, the old world of darkness game Mage, The Ascension, which is such a cool idea of like, oh, these people kind of wake up and see reality as it truly is and can affect it. But the game system just like in my experience does not support any kind of fun play for me mage the ascension so right this is my my d make of that and it's just about being uh in a little cell of cyber magic weirdos you know trying to fight the man and keep the the bug lord apocalypse from coming and also you know just being a a, a weirdo at the same time well, I'm gonna back Dude, this project. So I was gonna say, like that's fucking, like that sounds awesome. Like when, 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 when is this dropping? Like when um, does it start? When does the funding start? Funding starts February first. Nope. Okay. Uh, the character creation rules for my game are up for free at inamirrorbrightly.card.co. Card has two R's. Card is like a free website thing. Um, so you can go there and even make a character and learn the rules. Um and read about how you can uh, be a filth eater. Or I'm looking at all the weird, I'm like, did I write this? Um, <laughs> you know, you can have a brain modem or you can consume filth or you can uh, touch things and learn who last used them. Uh, cool. Everything I wanted from a role-playing game about cyber magic weirdos, I guess. Less I mean, metal, you know, Adam is in the metal scene, obviously. That was never something I came up in. So I don't know what music genre this is. It's probably just like shoegaze indie rock, but I don't want it to be. <laughs> I don't know that much about music. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I have not listened to a lot of shoegaze recently. <laughs> that is a little bit ago. <laughs> But uh, but no, that sounds fucking awesome. And you know, I mean, your game sounds awesome. I love me some cyber, some cyber magic weirdos. But the um, like Max's like battle royale, like that sounds 
we I feel like we are gonna need to have you guys on again to talk about this at some point or play this yeah. or do something. Yeah, we I should mean, play we, it. We've been talking about having Max it. on. Uh, we should play it. We've been talking about reaching out to Max because um, Himbo's is fucking awesome. So uh, <laughs> yeah, Himbo's of Myth so, and yeah. Metal is yeah. is like kind it's of such a solid name. It's very good. Yeah, it's a beautiful book too. It's a little uh, A5 hardcover with great oh, yeah, art by. Right. Mary Verhoeven. Yeah, it's just a great looking book as well. But it's like a very um, campy fantasy RPG. Totally. Yeah, it, uh, I I really, yeah. Little, little, little Max Pug, Himbo's there right is. there. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's like, I love that, like, the kind of like how it's faded into the thing, you know? It looks, it gives it so much texture while still just being like, it's just, it's just a book, but it is. Yeah, this is fantastic. Um, but yeah, you guys, I mean, f I, we would love to have you guys back and maybe do do some. Uh, so what what your his is called a handbasket and yours is called what again? In a mirror brightly, which is In a, a punky name. Cool. But <laughs> we had we each had lists of like 20 names and we were going through, you know, because we decided to do this a week or two ago. Uh, I mean, so mine is, mine is like mostly written. It's a project that's been on the back burner. Um, and Max had been working on his since reading cyber metal as well. So I don't want it to sound like this is spinning it Slap off. Dash. Yeah. The stuff is mostly done, but we didn't have names for it. And so I had a bunch of awful names. Um, and I picked this awful name because it was deadline time and we had to make the Kickstarter page. So. It's, a, it's a great name. It, it's one of those things where you feel like, like, is it an anagram? Is there more? Like the inner mirror brightly bit of it. Like it, it flows really, really well. Like it's just kind of like, you. I feel like you could say it a bunch of times and then like it becomes a tongue twister after a couple, you know, like it, it feels yeah. good. It's so the, is it the Bible? In the Bible, I think they talk about seeing people as in a mirror dimly or like the translations are different, but like as in, as through a looking glass dimly. And it's just about like, we will never experience the true world. There's like an existential aspect to it. And I thought this is a game about like being bright <laughs> and like be, you know, saying this world can be magical. We are not just seeing a future heaven promised to us. Like this is, this is our world right now we're looking good in this mirror. We are looking bright. And so that was the intention. I don't nice. know if it'll get there, but, uh, no, that sounds fucking awesome though. Like you should definitely, like, is there anything in it that says like, this is why this is what it is. <laughs> I don't know. So I like, when I finally finished college, I got an English degree. And so I do this. It has poisoned my mind one to always be referencing older writings, even when I'm not trying to, and two <laughs> to be like very vague about my things. I think you're right. I think it's usually better to just say like, here's why I did this. Here's what it means. Here's a path for you to like, go look up some weird old stuff about existentialism or whatever, but we'll, I'll, I'll get it in there. It'll be an appendix, I guess. There you go. We'll just have 14 appendixes in, in, <laughs> in, the, in the flip book for, for that. Yeah. That's awesome. So what, so you said the podcast is also in seasons. You know, um, where you're doing, is it, tw you said 12 episodes? Like how many total episodes, how many seasons have you done with the podcast? So we, later today, we are recording our season two finale. Um, basically, two. we do two seasons a year. Um, since we're doing every other week, it's what, 26 episodes a year. 
which is 13 episodes per season, 12 games, and then our ranking of the games finale. Um, so when we started this, it was just very meandering. It was some games we had heard of and maybe wanted to read. Um, and then this current season is a lot of shorter games and more recent games because we totally overdosed on like 400 page hardcover books from 1981 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but in the future, we will have some themed seasons. So coming up next, we have monsters. We're going to read a bunch of monster books from like the Witcher RPG uh, to like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1985. Uh, nice. Just a bunch of stuff with like some weirdos. And then in the far future, we're going to do like some OSR themed stuff including like original D&D adventures from the 70s, but also some of like the foundational texts of modern OSR movement. Um, yeah, and who knows where we're going from there, but it's just very funny to be like, we did this on a whim and now we have the next two years of our life sort of planned out. Uh, I guess it's sort of like being married. Nice. <laughs> very stable. Yeah, exactly. It feels good <laughs> to know no matter what. I'll read a shitty RPG book and talk about it with Max. So. <laughs> yeah, those old ones, the big ones get brutal too. It's like it's they're like rough. writing has come a long way. Yes. Writing, editing, layout. I'm so glad that we are living in like a golden age of RPGs. So um after um this current project that you're kickstarting, how long are you gonna be kickstarting the project you're doing right now for? Is it gonna be for the entire month of February? Just no, it's two weeks. I think. I think it ends on the sixteenth. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. just I've heard two that. Weeks. I've heard that shorter crowdfunding projects are better for creators. That's what I've been told. I again am bad at branding. Uh, often, I'm also just kind of a. I'm not going to say I'm a jerk, but if someone tells me like, "Here's the way to do this," my instinct, often a toxic instinct, sometimes a good instinct, is to go. But what if I did it different? You know, what if I did it my way? And so I just, um, I hear those marketing ideas and often they are good and often they're coming from a good place. This one we're doing for two weeks. I think it is a good idea, but also like that's all my brain can sustain for dealing with Kickstarter. Um, who knows? Maybe someday we'll just do like, this is our three month Kickstarter. We're going to really screw with the system, but yeah, I don't our, our only stretch goal is if we make $10,000, we will meet in person. Nice. So there's that. I mean, you guys should just <laughs> do that at some point anyway. It's, you know, lately, without like throwing a bunch of names out, like I've talked to a bunch of creators that are working with other creators and they're like, yeah, we've never even like talked on the phone or like even like seen each other on video and everything. I'm like, how? Like, well, like, what do you like? The, my first instinct is just, oh, we're talking. Let me call you. Let me just hop yeah, on Zoom call. Yeah. Let me do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I think there is something maybe romantic about like, oh, we're just writing letters back and forth uh, and, and we're doing it that way. Uh, but I'm the same way of just like, why are we spending all day typing back and forth when we could just hop on a call and have some fun? So. I so uh, is there a, is there a page for is there like a preview page set up for the Kickstarter yet? Yeah, there is. I think it's a long boring URL. Um, but I let me see. I'm just going to Google kicks. So the the project name, the umbrella for both these books is low res futures. So I bet if you Google, nope, that doesn't get you anywhere. Um, 
I don't know. Keep an eye out. Come to my Twitter. I'll tweet about it. Uh, oh, if you go to the card Here we that go. I was talking about earlier. Low res futures, two RPGs, one flipbook. Yeah. Boom. Um, Millenarian cyber witchcraft augmented reality death games from 1990X. Yes. Oh, uh, Max is like a video game developer. So there's actual, oh, there will be augmented reality stuff where you can like put your phone over the book and it will reveal cheat codes and nice. character options and stuff like that. That is awesome. Uh, that is I feel like cool. I saw, I feel like I saw a tweet maybe. I feel like I saw yes, maybe a tweet. Max has already been like prototyping it. Uh, he did like a, a cover mock-up and then put his phone over it and it said, hail Satan, like flashing in text. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. So yeah, so we'll so we'll um we'll drop that uh, for those listening. Uh, we'll drop that into the descriptions of the video when we drop it on YouTube and everything. Um, I'll link it too in in the podcast stuff. But um, outside of the Kickstarter page, like we've talked about the podcast, we talked about you know um, Speedrun and and Patrick World. Where can people find all of these various different things? Uh, I think the easiest way is just to go to my Twitter profile at Aaron MF King. And there are links out to all that stuff on there. As I mentioned, I'm very bad at branding. I have changed the spelling of things. I have forgotten. You know, sometimes I'm just really tired and I'm like, I got to sign up for this thing and I do it and I do it wrong. So find me on Twitter. There are links there to everything else. Yes. This is this is the A.A. Ron version yes. of, of Aaron King on Twitter. Um, and then there's a link to it. So yeah, our, our rrrtfmcast.com, uh, Aaron King, but with the E-R-I-N for the itch page, like those things, yeah. So um, so listen, this has been absolutely fantastic. I'm super excited to jump into Patrick World with Hunter. So we're going to hop into that. Um, again, if you ever would like to come back and run anything you've ever done, yeah. we would absolutely love for you yeah. to do that. Same with Max and everything. I think we've already kind of talked a little bit about maybe doing something a little bit different. But listen, I have all the time in the world, kind of, if to actually do the things that I should be doing. So let's <laughs> let's do it. Let's like at some point let's let's have you um you and or Max and Max and let's play all of these things. Like that would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I'm. We'll figure it out. Yeah, that sounds awesome. You're like, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, okay, all right, buddy. No, I, I'm ready. I, <laughs> I actually, so all of my like long running campaigns have kind of uh, either gone on hiatus because people, you know, my my two player campaign, one of them recently moved and like started a new career and all this other stuff, uh, and then my long running like seven year crew that started with D and D that transitioned into Patrick World, everyone was just like tired of Zoom and a bunch of people. Uh, are like immunocompromised, so it's tough to meet in person. So mm -hmm. that has all petered out. I am fully available. I want to run some more games. So cool. let's do let's it. Play games. All right, let's fucking do it. All right, so yeah, so we're going to hop into Patrick World real quick. Well, so um, if you're listening right now, like you'll hear us in about two seconds. But if you are uh, in chat, just staying around for uh, a couple minutes, we're going to go to BRB. Um, and we'll be Aaron, back great to have you. You know, thanks yeah, for Thank you. I'm having a great time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, stick around if you want in a chat and we will be talking about your game. So we'll be back shortly, just a moment. Hello and welcome back to the Weekly Scroll Podcast. It's me and my boy William is nice. Something. Yes, William is nigh. That's what there it was. There we go. There so, um, 
We're just chatting. We know what's going on here. This is not yeah. first show. Nope, not. Nah. Nope, not even the first show of the year now. Um, but we were just chatting with the wonderful uh, Aaron motherfucking King about Patchwork World. I'm holding it up. You know, I, I know I, I realize now, and this is something we forget normally. If you're listening to us, I do apologize that we have not been describing a lot of the things. So um, wh what I'm holding up right now is Aaron King's Patchwork World 6th edition. And what you see uh, on the cover, honestly, this is straight up one of the best covers fucking ever. Yeah, like, it's a really good cover. If I knew nothing about the game, which I didn't, obviously, when I bought it, I wanted <laughs> it so fucking bad. Um, it is a it is a um, person, right, uh, with six angel wings, uh, with uh, four nails going in their head, holding a little skeleton. Here, let me turn off my fucking blur for a second for those that are you actually blur, uh, in chat here. Um, holding a little skeleton in their hands. Um... <laughs> But then over top of all of it, in um, I, I, I think I remember Aaron saying that it's Impact. Um, it says Aaron King's Patrick World 6th Edition, like edge to edge in a, a really gorgeous pink. And anyone that's seen the show knows we're kind of a fan of, of pink here. Um, just like fucking awesome. Straight up, easily one of my favorite covers of all time. Um, really fantastic. But we just got a chance to talk with Aaron. Um about this and a bunch of other stuff. So if you are just listening to this part, uh, listen to the episode before this, because they're fucking awesome. And I'm excited to get into this. So are you ready for this? I'm no. Oh, well, fuck. All right. I'm, so I'm full, I'm full, I'm full bore panicking right now. I have no idea what's going on. I don't even know where I am anymore. I mean, what's um, interesting is that we, we, it has been probably like six weeks since we brought up like a book and flipped through it on stream. I know. So uh, I can tell you right now, are. though, when we do when we do change screens, it will not be correct. So uh, let's uh, let's get this set up real quick. Okay, cool. I'm just gonna entertain yep. everyone listening to the time. I'm gonna do regale it. them with the stories of my adventuring. I guess you should please do. What, what was your last adventure? Um, we ran a like the first time running my game, um, Adeps which is mm -hmm. like Space Wizards. I'm going to move my camera around. Is that the wrong direction? It seems like the wrong. Yeah, that's the wrong direction. We're going this way, baby. Um, yeah. And um, I was meaning for it to be a stealth adventure, but my players had um, much different ideas, and I gave them a fun esoteric magic system, and I thought they'd use it for creative problem solving, and I guess they did, um, although their way to um, solve problems was a lot more, I don't know, violent than what I had in mind. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> I was like, I give them, like, I give them amazing tools to sneak by, become unnoticed, like get through things. And they're like, yeah, actually, I'm going to try to bind these two guys together so strongly that their skin becomes one. And I'm like, well, that's fucked up. Um, but, you know, that's the way to do it, though. That's 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 how that's, that's how I would like to do it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, here we are. Look, uh, if you're watching, we have the cover up and it's and again, this is a big book. So we're going to get a lot of page coverage as we go through this. But I absolutely, again, love this cover. Um, there is art by Allison Ann on the inside, and I do believe it's the same as this on the back cover or similar. Um, and this is game text by Aaron King from 2021 with developmental editing by Vi Huntsman. Um, if you have not, uh, seen any Vi Huntsman, uh, you've at least seen the mothership one in the desert. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The video. What, oh. it, what, uh, um, why am I blanking on, um, 
It's something without permission. Collabs without permissions? I'm almost positive that's what it is. Um, and I do apologize. Collabs without permission. See, I got there eventually. Thank you so much, Aaron. Aaron, Aaron. Aaron is uh, going to stay in chat with us um, as we go through this. So, uh, first question is always, in my book, do we have hyperlinks? Let's see. Yes, we do have hyperlinks. We have hyperlinks. Look, the, the cursor becomes a hand. That's wonderful. How about some bookmarks? There are bookmarks. Look at those glorious bookmarks. It's amazing. Oh, mm. What a oh. modern uh, marvel of modern technology, you know? Um, but, yeah. As we always say, like, you know, uh, so much of this is online now, so you're going to reference this online. It's hard to flip through a PDF. Like, you can't flip through it like a book. So, hyperlinks, baby. Bookmarks? Sick. We love it. Listen, hyperlinks... I almost, I almost said something really dumb. I said I can excuse hyperlinks, but I fucking can't hyperlink your well, shit. Well, like, that, that's a fucking lie. <laughs> yeah, it was a huge fucking lie. Um, but um, I, I like, I am I wrong that like bookmarks just kind of happen? Like, if, when, even when I'm writing a Google Doc, it just creates bookmarks for me on the side. Like, I'm, I must, I feel like obviously when you're making a PDF, it, it's not just gonna like populate them. But um, I wish it would. So uh, these are the contents of the book, uh, breaking it down. We got uh, an introduction to Patchwork World. We got the narrative or how to play PBTA games, which is a huge part of what we talked about in the podcast. Um, what we want, who we are, how we live, player principles, running the game, a sample of play, sample adventures, and just one or two appendices in the back. Um, just uh, like an A through N all the way in the back there. Just a couple, 14. So um, cool. this is Patchwork World. Uh, the introduction, all the worlds ended together, heavens and hells, kingdoms and wastelands and everything in between. As they broke apart, the heartless princess saved the bit she could, shoving them together and crowning the resultant patchwork world with her icy city to hold it all together. The parts she couldn't save or the parts she passed on orbit the closed off world in a cacophony of satellites called the straying quarter. The patchwork world asks... What you do after everything you know is destroyed or changed. It asks if you'll fight to make sure it never happens again, or if you'll hasten more change, learn to adapt, and help others to do the same. So, for someone that doesn't like lore, the amount of evocative stuff you can get from literally three paragraphs and probably what amounts to like five sentences is crazy yeah totally i mean you have a very good like also i just think it's a cool concept like the this world that's just bits and pieces and then around <laughs> it fly the other bits and pieces you know like is it so rife for like weird weird adventure you know asteroid well, hopping adventure too well, and I think the 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 as soon as as soon as they started talking about as soon as Aaron started talking about Planescape as kind of an early inspiration, yeah. Like I was like, I mean, of course. Like it, reading even just a little bit, you're like, I totally get where that came from, um, and that freedom that something like this allows to do whatever you want because it's like the whole world broke apart, so you could literally have like mountain next to fucking de well you can have mountain next to desert anywhere but you know what i mean like you can have like chunks of the world like slap right next to each other so what's the so sigil the land that it's in that middle space that has listen i want to kiss you on the mouth for saying that right what sigil yeah but i read i read planescape <laughs> well yeah anyone that has all these uh, sigil motherfuckers out there it is spelled but, sigil so yeah, i mean anyway uh, <laughs> but anyway, you were saying. 
but the land that so Sigil like it floats above like a, the center mountain in this like essentially like the hub of this great wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the great, that that land has ebbed as a slice of all the other planes coming here. So it kind of reminds me of that. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was trying that to. That makes get. sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, you like there. There's a little bit of each of the planes within this one plane. You know, the, the outland. The outland. Yeah, that's what it's go. fucking called. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, and even even the word patchwork world, like it's like it's like this giant like quilt of like various pieces, yeah. or like the way that they used to put quilts out of blankets and stuff like that. It's just such a like I can. It would there's so much evocative. I'm using the word evocative a lot, but um, Use like, it one more I time. can imagine. Say it again. Just evocative. Listen, you're yeah. evocative. Thank you. Mm. Mm. So um, I I just I love the idea of like one piece of something that's very discordant with something else, like so slapped together that it's almost like chopped off. Like if you had like a mega city that was just like broken off and stuck next to something like completely different, like a freaking farm with like cows or whatever, but like not like obviously like you don't just move out into it. It's literally like slapped up next to it. I love the idea of things that are just like literally a chunk and a chunk just smashed together um and you get that from like i said i i could see this being a fun one there's a there's a project that i think you might have backed that i don't have yet but it's called sprawlscape um and it was a project someone did that had like it was a bunch of basically cards that you'd lay out at all different locations on them to make a map and i could see like making a custom version of that with like no card be like yeah this this is like a hell area or like whatever and then just like spreading it out with your players and being like, cool, this is the map, you know, like there's a hellscape right here. There's a full forest. There's a fairy forest right here. Um, I could see like a building the map for this as it's like random chunked off map as like its own fun mini game. I feel like, I feel like I have no idea what you're talking about, but I also back a lot of Kickstarters that I don't remember backing. So like, so it's just a think very like, real you know, possibility. Each, you have a stack of cards, and each card is a different type of area. Yeah, well, yeah, each, well, I mean, I, like that'd yeah. be such a great way to set I, up. Listen, this game. I smell what you're stepping in. Yeah, but like yeah. that would be, yeah, that would be a great way to do it. Um, I, like I said, it's just it's it's a great it's a great way to take a little bit of lore and really add a lot of to to create a lot from it, which is fantastic. So Patrick World is a role playing game. It's made up of Play rules, generational rules, um, and uh, and fantasy, and we're gonna get through all of those um, right now. Um, it runs on PBTA, which my God, if you listen to the last episode and don't realize that that's what was gonna happen, um, <laughs> <laughs> like you're genuinely not paying attention. Um, but you're fine. So, um, it's a game of three to five players, um, but I bet you can play with more or less. Uh, most players will play a single character, creating and developing as they play, um, which I think is such an underrated thing. Like, you don't need a 10-page backstory for your player. Develop your player as you play. Yeah. Um, you got it. It's a game. There's a GM. We'll, we'll talk about the, the variations of PBTA, um, but if you keep reading, you get an explanation of how the game works um, and how to safely play with your players. If you're already familiar with those ideas, skip to page 13. We're not going to do that. We're, we're going to cruise through a little bit yeah, of right. how to play PBTA games. Um, so that's what we just got to. The narrative or how to play PBTA games. Do you want to take over this? Do you want me to uh, cruise? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um... So it's funny because like I feel like we just talked about so how much about this, to yeah. play PBT games, but like it is a very um a player-driven um 
game. You when the players choose to do something, they roll and that pushes the narrative forward. They make a move. Um, and then based on how they roll that move, it allows you as the game master to put obstacles in their way um, or create strife um, to push the narrative forward. Um, so uh, I, guess I'll, I guess I'll read this one. Um, when playing Patrick World, um, a player uh, will describe what they want to do, essentially. Um, we'll describe a place or a situation and ask the other players to interact. Um, yeah, the players, the first player is the GM. Uh, I haven't read in a really long time. I'm dumb. Um, players interact via their characters, often by saying, like, what do you want to do? Um, the players describe what they do. Um, eventually, someone will trigger a move, uh, which is like a very mainstay PBTA like we were just talking about. Um, moves are a set of fictional triggers and mechanics. When they make a move, they have the chance to fail. Um, when, if and when they fail, this triggers an event that moves forward. I mean, if they succeed, it also triggers another more positive event that also moves the narrative forward. So the whole basis of this is just that, like, very player-driven moves push the narrative. Um, and then I guess if there's if it's not a move, they don't roll. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Which we discussed at length. Yeah, which I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I have an issue with that. You know, like, I am, oh, I'm, I'm, pre I'm pretty good with that, you know? I love, I love that. I mean, that's the whole thing is like when, when you go from fifth edition where you can't scratch your own ass without rolling an agility check. <laughs> that's very true. Um, like if, if, if what, what I, what I, what really helped me understand it is, is honestly the word consequences, right? So like all of your actions, all the players actions have consequences one in one way, shape or form, right? If the players are doing something that doesn't have like a, uh, uh, an, interesting consequence that could move yeah. things forward or 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 um impact the narrative in some way there's no fucking reason to roll you can just do it like if you well, want to make my really players roll for every breath they take i'm just like well like, we'll see if you choke this round like if you want to cartwheel across an empty room the room's not trapped or anything and you're just in an empty room like you don't need to just do it cool awesome yeah. like <laughs> keep the narrative going right like that's can the thing can i see is what's like, in this room <laughs> yeah yes you fucking can like, i know like it, that's funny that's the one rule that you will if you live listen to this before i will reference perception rules all the time when we talk about useless rules because either God. you see a thing you do if i look through a desk drawer by drawer if there is something in that desk i'll find it i because i'm looking in like I need to fucking roll. Well, I'm gonna miss it. How? Um, well, two, sorry. two, two, two. No, fucking keep this rank going. There's two parts <laughs> of that 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 are great. Is listen, one of the like the stupidest fucking things that like I am very guilty of. But also like fit. I blame fifth edition for the shitty way that it writes its rules. Is like gatekeeping important information from your players with a stupid fucking roll. Like you need your players to find this thing. Oh my and God. Then, and then you put like a DC 12 check on finding it. And of course they rolled an eight. So you're like, well, what the fuck do I do now? Just have yeah, them you, roll you, until you they find roll, it. You let them roll you into a corner. You're like, well, there's no, which is the dumbest fucking thing. So, so Sursa, um, we talked, we talked about Sursa a bunch on the podcast before. Um, and, and Who? when we were talking with Aaron, yeah, some guy Sursa victory makes awesome games, but like, um, in one of their 5e adventures, they literally wrote, like, if they want to roll a perception check, like, for the area or whatever, that's fine. But if they investigate a specific thing, they just know the things, right? So I think there's, like, there's a part where the statue has, like, an eye, but if you poke it, it's, like, a button that does some shit, right? 
They're like, if they're in an area and they just want to kind of search the area, have them roll a perception check to see if they find that specific thing, right? But if they say, well, I go look at the statue, you can just say, okay, when you're looking, that you find this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, if they're they're going broad, fine, roll. If they're specific, just have them learn all the shit. Anyway. I like I've I've noticed that like, if you ask players though a lot of the time even with like my guys a lot of the guys at my table are new to table so I'm like hey how are you examining this thing I'm like oh yeah I'm putting my hands all over it I'm like pressing on parts of it I'm like oh perfect well then yeah you realize immediately there's a like players are not you know they're they're people you know they'll if you mm-hmm. ask them how they're examining a thing they'll tell you I'm sorry but yeah. Um, no, yeah. but no, and no, now you got me going again. So the thing is, like, <laughs> you 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 destroy people's narrative. You destroy people's creativity with shit like that, right? Because it's like the number of times I've been like, okay, I'm gonna toss this room. Like, I'm like straight up, I will I will search top to bottom of this room, and someone's like, okay, roll me a check. I'm like, why? Like why? if it's hidden, if it's like a secret passage or some shit, yeah. whatever. But if it's under the goddamn mattress and you make me roll for a perception check, but I'm clearly saying I am straight up destroying this fucking room and looking for stuff. Like you're destroying people's creativity because you feel like, well, what I like, what I want to do is this, and you're telling me that somehow, My even though I wanted to do that, yeah, right. Even though I wanted to do that, I somehow was incapable of doing this task because I roll. Like there's no. Man, I will say that like after going through Patchwork World um, and talking to Aaron, like I have a really rough draft PBTA um, game of my own that I kind of just threw together. Um, that's definitely not done, but like I have a moves list and now. Really thinking about like, okay, you only roll for moves. Everything else free. Like I might change a few of the moves out. Like and really take that to heart because um, it's just some necessary stuff. But really interesting conversation. Uh, like a really great system. So. Yeah, well, I mean, and again, we talked about this before, too, as we get through this. I know there's a section that says, like, how to play the game is only like the first 13 pages. But like the whole book is a really great primer on how to run the style of games. So, again, highly recommend. And maybe we'll keep reading it and you guys will understand why. Um, What? uh, I don't even remember where you stopped. I think roles and questions is our next one. We were really just talking about um, how you play um, PBTA games, which is what we just ranted on for, um, you know. Well, we ran on how to not play 5e games, but yeah. Did you do, if player characters do something that triggers a move, where do you do that part? We did just talk about that. Okay, so this um, whole page is done. All right, yeah, next yeah. page. All right. Uh, this is definitely going to be one of those where we're like, we're going to be talking around everything um, conceptually. Mm-hmm. A little bit. A lot. Yeah. We'll just dual rant this one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so always feel free to ask questions or negotiate things. Some actions can potentially trigger multiple moves. Pick the one that feels best, right, or most fun. Resolve it and keep playing. Uh, there are no rules for initiative or turn order. Characters act whenever it makes sense, but after you act, ask other players if they'd like a turn. In a fight or a chase scene, it might make sense to go around the table in order. During a speech or negotiation, a single character might take the lead and narrate multiple actions or multiple moves. Again, I feel like Amazing. I don't care what system you're using. This is good advice for literally anything you're doing. It really, yeah, it really actually is just good advice, you know. Like, yeah. and like I like once again, we're gonna go through this, and there's a lot of stuff on here that's just like it almost doesn't matter what you're playing. There's a lot of really just good advice in this book, you know. Yeah. Um, um and there's not a lot of art in the book, but this is a very interesting piece. It's a really cool sure. piece. The so circus, it's clearly, the circus cannon woman. 
yeah, it's clearly at the circus. This this woman just has a cannon on her shoulder and it's blasting in front of a crowd. And standing next to her is um, a clown bent over and another clown standing on top of them. Good times. Yeah. So, roles and questions. I'm going to keep rocking, buddy. Uh, no, this one's all you. Go for it. I want to hear you beautiful. All right. All right. I'll get sultry with it. So, most moves ask players to roll. The GM never rolls. An important part of PBTA, the GM never rolls. Nearly every time you roll, you'll use two six-sided dice, like the kind that comes with most board games. Sometimes you'll add a static modifier, but often you'll roll with the question. Quote, uh, when asked to do so, the move will usually provide the questions immediately after. For each question you can answer yes to, you get plus one to the roll. So this is a part that I reread a couple of times. So this is a little bit different yeah. than like like when we played like Victory Basic, like I said, where you get kind of standard stats. This one, you don't really right. get stats. This really, but again, we've talked about this numerous times, the, the rules of the game and the way that they're written encourage the way that you play. This game is incredibly, this version of PBTA, the, the Pepper Portal Iron King version, is incredibly narrative focused, even more so yeah. than PBTA, which is based on narrative. So you literally get, more points to your role for and for answering questions about the moves you just made so good like yeah such an absolutely easy, well and because you encourage players to ask questions and answer questions which can keep the narrative going which is great um you can negotiate whether or not you can answer yes to a question. For instance, many moves ask if you prepared something ahead of time. If you're in the middle of a fight, the answer is probably no. However, if you were broad, if there were broad stretches of time left undescribed before you made the move, you can probably say yes. If you're unsure or if there's disagreement over it, you can use the be prepared move to resolve whether or not you are prepared. Um, and there are a couple of other factor, uh, factors. Um, one is some moves and situations will give you a longer list of questions to ask. Go through them all or as many as you want. Um, and then uh, number two, however, you can never add more than plus two to a single roll, except in the case of very few situations noted in particular moves. So you can't just like make shit up forever to, to, right. to super fail everything. And we've talked about this before. We've talked about the percentages and things like that. I'm terrible at math, but I think a plus three to any 2d6 roll gives you like a 75% chance of success. Like on There's a very, very high chance of you rolling a, like the bell curves of the seven. So with a like the height of the bell curves at seven so with a plus three right yeah yeah you have a very very high probability of of succeeding um yeah. um or, or dice, maybe maybe a better actually a more apt description would be you have a very very low probability of failing completely there you failing. go completely fail you're base it's almost impossible to completely fail right. with a plus three like yes. very very difficult um <clears throat> Once the dice and modifiers have been added together, you can match results to bands of success. And this is, in my opinion, this is what PBTA and post-PBTA and whatever we want to call it, because I think a lot of the PBTA fanboys will get really butthurt if you don't do exactly what PBTA tells you to. But like mixed success is something that I think is a hallmark of PBTA and the yeah. post post PBTA. And that's this is what this is describing here. So on a 10 plus, you succeed. Some moves have specific effects that happen. Choose them and describe them. Like basically, um, uh, other moves have something vague, like daring do's, you avoid the danger. So basically on a 10 plus, whatever you were trying to do, you get to do all of that. Like, good job, you fucking get it. Right? <laughs> 
on a seven to nine this is my favorite this is one of my favorite game things ever on a seven to nine you get what you want but at a cost or complication or you get part of what you want this invites a gm to make moves of their own but you can always offer questions or suggestions a common example is of a character inching across a dangerous path high above the ground if they roll a seven to nine maybe they drop something important do they take the time to retrieve it or do they push on without the object so it's kind of it is it is the standard yes but which I love. I you know? really, yeah, I've been playing a lot of bastards. I'm playing, playing into the odd like hacks and I've really enjoyed that. But I'm, as we're going through this, I'm like, Oh, I missed that. Like that was a lot of fun. Like for, especially as the game master, like this is like, I, it's funny because it's player facing roles, but as a game master, this is a blast to do. Cause you're like, Oh, cool. Like I love improv. Um, so I'm like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. You do that. You, you make it across that narrow path. Um, but you know, as you're making a cross, it crumbles beneath you and you have to jump ahead. And now the path is gone for the, le- the next two people behind you or whatever. Like, it's just a blast, you know? Yeah. And I think we talked about this a little bit, too. Like it makes a- as the GM, it makes you feel more like a player. Yeah. Because totally. when you get to make moves and you get to, it, like I said, like improv, bounce stuff off of people like it really flex your creativity it's not like i felt like a lot of times with 5e it was almost just like reading a script i'd already planned out kind of everything i'd already done everything that you know and then with this like i don't know what's going to happen i don't know what you're going to do when you do something and something goes wrong you something in your brain just has to go what is a potential consequence and like how hard do i want the consequences to hit right now for this situation and and like personally for my style of deeming i'm immensely better at this than i am at the having the written thing um like the moment I write out like a script of what's happening, like, and I'm just reading that my attention to the game is like split very. So I am not good at that. Like if I can just have a vague idea of where we're going and I can improv a bunch, I'm way better. So this feeds into how I want to play anyway, you know? Yeah. You know, I, it's so, so if anyone that's listening to the podcast, if you weren't aware, um, I definitely have ADHD. Um, so, and I'm pretty sure, uh, you have a, a decent level of executive dysfunction at some point in there. Um, when I would run like VTT, I love running in person games, right? I have a million fucking minis. Right. I got a million maps. I got colored light bulbs. <coughs> I literally have like candles that smell like dungeons and shit. I love running, but I gotta be honest, VTT for, uh, my ADHD brain is so much easier because what I would do, especially in like roll 20 is there's a layer where you can just write GM notes. It would like, right. I would almost not be able to see the map because I would have so much stuff written directly on it because if I couldn't see it in bright yellow right in front of my fucking face, I would miss it. So I would constantly miss important information where I would literally be like, I need to make sure I remember that like when he does this, this thing happens because it's super going to affect this later. I obviously forget. I get to the point later and realize, damn, I got off script. Right. With this kind of thing, you don't need to do that at all. Yeah. Exactly like you're saying, you don't need to worry about going off script because there isn't one. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yep. Fuck totally. a script. So yeah, we're just making exactly. shit up. Boom. So, um, and on a six, and so that was seven and nine. Mixed success. One of my favorite things ever. Love the shit out of it. On a six minus, a complication occurs inviting a GM move. Note that this does not mean you fail. Unlike in other games, something always happens after a roll. So, but I mean, you could, you could fail, but it's, it's, it's no and, right? Yeah. 
that's how I always saw it is it's the yes button, no and. It's like you were trying to pick the lock and like one that's that's such a great example that Aaron talked about where it's I like, was gonna point out like that's an amazing example. Perfect, because you can either just fail, but you don't just fail. You fail in a way that like the guard is coming around the corner, I think is what they said, or you do pick the lock but when you open the door there's literally a guard that heard your <laughs> dumb conversation because you were probably screaming in the hallway outside about some bullshit who literally you open the door like a blunderbuss in your face or something you know perfect example really great way to do it and like the idea of gm moves coming in is great so i'm not gonna go oh we okay so the example written is literally what we just talked about so we don't need to do that <laughs> so um so other roles it's a, you great, take other it's roles? a very strong example you it's know? perfect because of like the no but or like yeah like you you can still fail forward you know like you did unlock the door but you're fucked now like there's like 50 guys on the other side there's like some shit going on where you're like absolutely like you open the door and walk into a gelatinous cube you know what i mean like <laughs> you fail hard you know <laughs> oh, i might use that one honestly that's a that's a good one uh, uh, but yeah so other roles right uh, sometimes you'll be asked to roll the dice in different ways. Uh, first, a d6, uh, which is shorthand for rolling a six-side die. Uh, there's also two d6, three d6, um, you know, whatever number of d6s, and then add them up. Uh, the other ways to roll uh, is also a d66 or d66, um, which just means two dice and reading one is the tens, um, and then one is the ones place, which I think we're fairly familiar with at this point. Um, a lot yeah. of um, systems use uh, all of two D six systems use D six six or D sixty six as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah, so there's a nice little table that shows you the potential results for D sixty six. So it's eleven through sixty six, but there's it's only eleven to sixteen and twenty one to twenty six, and it's mm. all numbers that are between one and six. Um, that's how a six sided dice works, actually. Just so y'all know. It's got six whole sides. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but this this kind of this page specifically is why I said, like honestly, if I straight up like if I had a player that had never played RPGs, I would want to hand them this fucking book. Like yeah. because even something like this, like explaining in really well written, like concise terms, what D six six is, because you know how many people that have played RPGs for a long times whose brain breaks on D sixty six. Oh, totally. They Absolutely. Up, they want to bring up like a a, a digital role and literally type in like D sixty six and not realize it's a six and a six and have to put it together. Like because you're not going to get like well, 10, I mean, admittedly, you know, almost all tabletop RPGs up until recently have trained them that whatever number is after the D is the number of sides the dice has. So I get the confusion. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I, I've also read Troika, um, you know, and and a bunch of other stuff that's, like, very common that, you know, D66. Um, but, yeah, so the, the it, it kind of lays this out. Like, the point of this matrix is to create, like, a larger range of options than maybe just a D6. And it's usually used for generating something, whether it be random places or inhabitants. Um, yeah, it just gives you a longer, a wider range while still just using the core dice um, to that PBTA uh, mechanic um, or dice mechanics. Um, clocks and tracks, which are great. So it's two different ways to track. Um, you have clocks, which are essentially pizzas, right? It's a circle that you divide into slices. And usually as you like fail, they fill up, right? If you're in a dangerous situation, you like, roll i think he actually gives the example you're rolling like a nine or less right so like a partial 
fail to a full fail, you start to fill, excuse me, this is like in a random account, you start to fill segments of this clock. And <clears throat> this might, you know, appear like danger is increasing. Things are getting worse as you fail. Um, a lot of times for clocks, like if they're searching an area or doing something or like a group like narrative moment, I have a clock where it's like, yeah, you guys just do like, as they do stuff, they tell their story and they succeed. And then I fill in successes until they have four or five successes. And then they figure out whatever they're trying to figure out. Um, I actually really like clocks. Um, mm -hmm. and Love I don't them. actually nearly use them as much as I genuinely really do like them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely need to use them a lot more because it's such a great way to keep track of like the, concept of time without having to keep track of like actual time yeah um or just like the or or just like mounting failures or mounting successes how sure. like yeah. to use those to change what is happening um or the direction mm. of where things are going um and that's, so that's clocks tracks are different tracks are like a, a like a list of squares that you fill as things happen right it talks about in this one there is a a stress track which is um kind of like a negative um thing that your character gets as you receive stress you start filling you check off the boxes or whatever um to to represent like mounting negatives um but like see and then it's another thing is like for this one it's like yeah stress but like maybe you have like a superpower meter in your game in your pbta game and every time they do something right. really fucking cool they tr they track they mark off track to go another yeah. really great tool for tracking you know yeah it's literally yeah it's literally just tracking like a like a set number of things like uh like you could even do like um like hit points on like a monster or something like that and when they have six so it's six yeah. boxes and you just check off and when all six boxes are checked they're fucking dead yeah you know it's just a great way to track easy easy like you know visually um a visual way to track things hmm. dang i kind of hmm. want to rewrite my game to use more clocks and tracks now which i might do Dude, so clocks and tracks um, is what's up so yeah, um, I, I straight up like like after rereading Patrick World for this, and then also after I read Speed Rune, like there are parts of the game that I'm running where I was like, well, I still read Speed Rune actually. So Dude, it's, I need to read Speed It's Rune. good. Yeah, okay. you do. It's it's really fucking good. It's really good. I think it's so like that's such a funny like they got like they got a season to Dude, I, I, I love it. Like, like I think it's fucking hilarious. Now so I'm just like you know you didn't make like they did RuneQuest didn't make up the idea of runes. You know like I think right. there's a few thousand year old scandinavian god that hung from a tree once i have a real issue with that um yeah. uh yeah um what uh we want um and it's got this little gnome guy with a magnifying glass um little, so, little feats out yeah and this part really talks about like um it's like it's the responsible of the players uh to make expectations of like what they want to do in social situation the game like clear you know it's a this is a cooperative thing and when you meet at the table like the group discusses what the group wants to do in this game and like what their expectations are for this game and how to feel safe and fun um and this section that we're going to go through has questions to kind of streamline that process um in fact this whole book is going to be a lot of questions that you ask yourself at the table um just in general yeah yes um, yeah so uh questions um the following page is going to have a bunch of open-ended questions that um get help get players on the same page um they i think it says yeah they don't necessarily have to be answered beforehand and all players don't necessarily have to answer the same way uh the main purpose is to just get everyone like everyone's minds moving um and thinking about 
like how you discuss the game and like what the game is. Um, right. Ryan, you want to pick a couple of examples? Yeah. Well, also, I do want to point out this beautiful, this beautiful thing here where they they reference um, these questions are adapted from the same page tool uh-huh. by I want to say Bankwe. I'm I'm terrible at it, but um, it's hyperlinked out. So directly in the PDF, you can link right to the tool that they're talking about. Aaron, Mwah. I mean, talk about digital it? digital tools. So yeah, um, there's like a whole page here. Um, so I really like because uh, there's a variety of different types of tools or different types of questions here that are, are about the game. So one of the ones that I really like is like, how can players make their characters' goals clear? How far will they go in pursuing them? Nice. How much lead or prodding is the GM expected to give? How can the player signal that they're not sure what to do? How can the GM react to give them agency? Is a fantastic one. It's one that you don't even need to answer. But like just bringing it up to your players and being like, hey, like consider like at what point like are you going to like message out however you want to like, okay, I don't know where to go. Because like how many times yeah. you've been sitting in a room with with your players and they've just been circling the drain and not asking any questions yeah. or being like, yeah. I got nothing left, you know? Well, um, I mean, you also go to the thing where you're like, listen, I don't know why I need to tell you this for the fifth time, but there are no pit traps. Like, yeah. you, you, you don't have to be careful. I promise you, yeah. you're not going to fall down a hole. You know what I mean? Just go forward, you know? Yeah. But these um, are great. Um, these are great questions. I, I think there's a lot yeah. of value in having open discussion with your table. Yeah. Um, especially if yeah, you're, I mean, you know, if you're moving game systems, if it's a new table, if they're brand new players to tabletop games in general, like a lot of these questions will do you a lot of good for setting expectations, regardless of whether or not they're actually answered in real time. Well, not only that, I mean, the very last one too, too, is like what safety tools do we want to employ to make sure players feel safe and comfortable with playing, right? So like, you know, we're big, we're obviously a huge fan of safety tools here. Um, it's it's really important. It should be a basic part of session zeros and stuff like that. Anyone that is like, oh, the safety tools, eat, eat a fucking, eat, eat, eat. That is a crazy reaction. Like who, I mean, listen, if you want to go to your table and your table is like a weird group of dudes that like really push boundaries of humor and like you guys are all okay with that like that's fine but like like you don't have to use safety you don't have to use safety but that's that's why this question is so perfect too because it literally asks like what safety tools do we want to employ and if across the table everyone's like we know each other we're good cool you just answered the question yeah you know what i mean like that's literally like like, none is a valid answer you know like yeah that's not how my table runs no, um, which is crazy because I my table is like a bunch of they're they're one step away from murder hobos, but like genuinely say, there's there's stuff that they would not be okay. I know there's stuff that they would not be okay. Hundred percent. Uh-huh. I mean the, the average normal human being, but like if if literally everyone looked around and went, "Nah, we're all fucking psychos. It's cool, fine." But you answered the question. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. Also, leave that fucking table. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean there yeah. there are there are things that are literally just like if someone's like, nah, I'm good with this, I'd be like, all right, well, deuces. Um, yeah, I don't need this you know. person in the table. So maybe this, yeah. maybe that question has a lot of different functions, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Again, like we said, like it, some people are literally could, and it could just be safety tools that you want to use. It could be like, well, I'm I'm a huge fan of the X card, or I don't really like the X card, and then people could just be like, okay, let's just do lines of veils and move on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. boom, done. You know um do you want me to take who we are sure so what, what did we just ask what do we want huh 
What was the what was the first question we asked? Oh, what we want? Yeah. When do we want it? No. Oh, your so goal. Oh, yeah, yeah, the the character goals one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so who we are? If you're playing group is, I'm yeah, If your player group is starting a longer, yeah, I'm not tired. Or like the Red Bull <laughs> is definitely not running out of my system quickly. <laughs> um, if your player group is starting a longer series of games, you'll probably want to spend the first session making characters and defining the world. Fantastic. Again, Amazing. another reason this is such... I'm going to say it a million times, and I, I don't apologize, podcast. Another reason this is such a good primer for PPTA games and games in general. There's such a good description of just, like, the basics of getting a game up and going that are so well done. Um, uh, some people like to define the world. Um, some people like to, like, learn it as they go. There's a little secret here. Making characters is making the world. You're making disparate characters that all belong to the same community. This means that the world is packed with endless kinds of people that join together for an endless number of reasons. Since we have to start somewhere, this text will start with making characters. So we're talking about, uh, first one is name. Um, what is your name? But also, like, the way that you the names that you pick and stuff like that also helps build the world right so whether you yeah. start or finish here ask what kind of naming conventions exist which comes into the world right um there's a lot of there there's worlds out there that like everyone's last name is like d apostrophe and then something like d'antonio you know like that's a naming convention that you, you just create across the thing yeah uh, where characters have names we use in the real world do people like typical fantasy names like Fafford and Elrond do people go by epithets the gray mouser so for example like when we were doing the the um the uh critic up with Watt the other day like it literally like that question literally came up where I was like Gord and the cowboy and it was like are you Gord the cowboy are you the cowboy Gord like what is the name yeah, yeah, that makes totally. sense you know um yeah. and then concept your concept is one or more words uh, that describe the kind of character you're angling for. This is the word I use in my game, and I was like, yes, love this. Thank you, and you explained it better than I could. Um, it doesn't limit the moves you can pick or use, but it can, and it can change during play. Its main use is a signifier for who gets to answer questions about the world during play. For instance, if a character is a fallen knight, the GM might ask their player if they know the lord of a nearby town or if they can identify a piece of heraldry. Great example. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So um, feel free to start with a profession from a different game, like thief, wizard, ranger. I have no idea what a jonglier is. Do you know what a jonglier is? I don't have any idea. I bet Google does. I listen, I'm already on the Googles. A wandering minstrel poet or entertainer in medieval England or France. So it's a it's a much cooler version of uh, word for bard is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um are all perfectly good concepts, but then you can also modify them a little bit. So it's more than just a thief, it's an aspiring thief. Because that that changes it entirely. Like you're yeah. a thief, this means you've been you've been doing thieving, right? But if you're an aspiring thief, it means in my mind, you're not that great. You learned it how Yeah, to you're really thief. not very good at it yet. <laughs> yeah. You're, oh, jongler is a French word for juggler. Dope. Thank you. Oh, um, cool. Um, et cetera, et cetera. You get it. Or So he, it, there's a, a list of them. So aspiring thief, a secret thief, and a failed thief are all very different things. So expanding on the concept really does help a lot with what your character is doing. Um, I love, I fucking, I, I really enjoy building characters like that. Like from the ground up concept characters. I mean, like, yeah, like. It, it's nice to get away from games where it's just like, yeah, you have a character class and like, this is your yeah. locked in to what the archetypes that we've given you. It's like, yeah. no, what do you want to do, man? Like, yeah, I want to do a trans-dimensional blood wizard, you know? Why, <laughs> why, why the fuck not? I'm well, not you're also, 
You're also not going to then find a website of like the perfect builds ranking yeah. every skill with every archetype. Like, hey. Sorry if you're listening. Aaron's saying goodbye and they are in chat, but farewell. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, seriously. Really, really also, appreciate it. And this game, will not be the last but... time. This will not be the last time that you see Aaron on the Weekly Scroll podcast. Um, so the look, this the is what your character looks like. For example, there is um uh, a I'm gonna say it's a whale. Are you seeing whale here? What? Or are you seeing frog? Uh, oh, I oh, I've seen mushroom frog, but see, so I thought mushroom early too. But then I was like, okay, but you know how like the bottom jaw of a of a of a blue whale is got like is like kind of ribbed like that, you know, like white? You mean like a humpback whale? Yes. Sure, yeah, yeah, humpback whale. So I thought it was like, well, maybe that's that, or it's like a frog thing. I wasn't sure. I'm seeing and frog. Up, I'm, I'm going with frog mushroom guy. You know, frog. Yeah, frog whale mushroom guy holding up a fart, um, <laughs> <laughs> with a cane that has four feet and rocking just the open toe sandal with his dashing I didn't know I'm like it's like a wearing a suit with open toe sandals straight up straight up I'm talking suit with like leather gloves he's got um what what's the um the pre-tie thing like the thing ascot. that like the ascot yeah I was going I was trying to get to the Scooby Doo guy Fred and straight up fucking open toe sandals with his dapper fucking suit um so that's the look that this guy has. And that's what we're talking about here. This is what someone sees when looking at your character. And note, your look has no mechanical effect. Looks cannot trigger moves, answer questions. If you feel like something from your look should be having more of an impact on the game, consider it a personal tag. We didn't get into tags. We didn't talk about tags. I meant to talk about tags. I hate tags. Um, but we'll get into that. So personal tags. Maybe I'll like them better in here. Let's see. Um, you start with two personal tags but you can gain, lose, or change them pretty easily. Tags are noticeable like looks, but they affect moves. Um, however, they don't grant bonuses or penalties. Instead, they indicate to you and the GM when you might be able to trigger a move and what kind of consequences might follow. I like the idea of tags, and I like why people use them. Excuse me. I think I don't like using them, um, but I, I think they're great for people to use, if that makes sense. Um, I think maybe I'm just being a little bitch about it. So, for instance, someone might have the personal tag inhumanly tall. Um, because of this, the group might decide that this character can look through a window the others can't and is thus able to inspect the area on the other side of the window. If the same character rolls a six minus while trying to, to sneak, though, the GM might declare that they get spotted. So we're talking about tags here. Not a fan. What are your thoughts? Oh, you're not a fan of this? I hate tags. Oh, I yeah. like it. It gives you some character like benefits to like work with that might give you drawbacks in those situations. I think the tall ones are like a good example. I, um, I think it's a great example, but I feel <laughs> I feel so what I said was that I like the idea. Okay, so here's the thing. I like the idea of tags and why people use them. I don't like using them. Because I feel like you're creating like an almost like a middleman situation. Because like in my personal description i can just write inhumanly tall right yeah but this gives you but, but the problem is with look look gives you no mechanical benefit or negative right like and this, i don't see a reason to i don't see a reason to create a distinction i think is my problem right like if hmm. i just said like i'm inhumanly tall 
in the flow of the narrative, you can be like, well, you're fucking tall. Go look. Right. And that doesn't make me have to differentiate between two things, look and tag, and then write on a line tag. You know what I mean? I mean, tags aren't only physical. You could be like, yeah, I'm a, you're a math genius. You're amazing at figuring out angles of physics, you know? And like, like, yeah, so I'm going to go throw this ball through this window. It's like, okay, well, cool. You're a master of like physics and angles. So yeah, of course you get the, you know, get the benefit of that. Um, but I think also people, people need tangibles, um, to reinforce character concepts. Like, whereas like you or me might be like a more experienced tabletop player and we can make a conceptual character and be like, well, like, and I'm very honest, if I make a character with a certain concept, I'm like, well, then they obviously suck at this. So if I do this, like, I'm going to be bad at it, but this gives somebody something more tangible. It's like, oh, like my character is this and two tags, this and this. And these are the yeah. things that, that describe them. And like, it gives them like a tangible. Well, and that's why, and that's why I, and that's a great way to explain it. And that's why I said, like, I like the idea of tags and understand why people use them. I just think I personally don't like using them. I feel yeah. like you just said like, I'm, and I'm being, maybe I'm being a little douche about it, but like, I feel like I don't really need them. Oh, yeah, totally. I feel like, yeah, you want me always. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> but, I was like, are you just gonna let that are you just really gonna let that fucking slide? Okay, cool. <laughs> but um but I think what you said, like I just I just don't feel the need to use them because we played so many games and like I get it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I totally understand why people do use them and I feel like there is a curve eventually where people would like get away from potentially using them a little bit in their games because they're just like no i get it and like you said like we're honest about the way that we play the game so it's one of those things where it's just like i totally get why people do and i think it's a great concept i it's i just wouldn't really use them a ton in my game and i don't yeah, see a reason I, I mean, to i had a problem with this um playing uh adepts um with the mm-hmm. test group because it's the characters are so conceptual um mm-hmm. and they're like like so something like this like tags I'm like oh fuck that'd be like a really good idea um for my players to like give something to hold on to with their character um but yeah i like it i think it's a i think it's a good tool um you know you know what as I, i'm sitting here thinking and listening to you you know what i think might be what i don't like about it i feel like i'm just i don't like being told what to do and i feel like it's again restrictive in a way where it's like make two tags and i'm like but what if my dude i could think of a million tags for my guy you know what I mean? No. Like, I feel like you're 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 boxing me in here. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I think maybe that's what it is deep down as I explore my psyche. I feel like maybe yeah. that's what it is. Where I'm like, See, why I, do sometimes, I, just get I, I sometimes like having um, rules um, that not necessarily box you in, but guide you, because I, I find that like having rules created and working my way around the rules or bending the rules or like using the rules to their full logical extent, you know, um, mm-hmm. Is very interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. You know. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. But I also, um, I, in my mind, you know, I do a lot of magic, a lot of wizards and shit, and like yeah. magic, magic with rules is a hundred times better than magic without because you get to well, yeah. take those yeah, rules yeah. to their maximum extent. Uh, but yeah, but you like, I'm rambling. You like you like wizards and stuff. Yeah, I like wizards. I have I didn't trying know. to create a whole game where we're all overpowered didn't, wizards. So didn't ever know. So um, but yeah. So that's what tags are basically. It's like so you got looks and you got tags. Tags are things that can affect the role, basically, and looks are not. So you can look however you want, but it doesn't mechanically affect the role. Uh, if something would mechanically affect the role, it should be a tag, not a look. Um, there is one part. Um, be cautious about choosing things like race, gender, and disability for personal tags. 
Um, if a player wants a tag using these types of attributes, they should work with the gym to decide. And if you, the human player, don't belong to a marginalized identity, don't put it in your personal tags at all. Yeah, maybe like, you just don't. Maybe you just don't. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Seriously. Um, there is a section here on drawback and benefit. Benefit. The other mechanical effect of personal tags is drawback and benefit. Now, see, this makes me like it more because it gives more of a mechanical more more yeah. to it more more depth of stuff to it so um to mark drawback a player turns a roll result of seven or higher into a six they mark an experience and describe how one of their personal tags made this happen yeah um to mark drawback a player turns a result so basically you 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 purposely fail the roll and then gain experience and then cool. to mark benefit a player turns a roll of a nine or less into a 10. They describe how one of the personal tags make that happen. So, yeah. So uh, do you want to hit goals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so characters are experienced by completing goals. Um, you, you write down, I'm losing focus in my camera. You write down one goal uh, during character creation. Um, you can like You can have more than one goal, but the ones that you don't write down don't get you any experience points. Um, at the end of the session, um, if a character is made, this is a very PBTA thing. If at the end of the session, if you make progress towards your goal, they're going to mark a single point of experience. And if I know anything about PBTA, that's a thing. Um, I actually really kind of do like that a lot. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, if goal is completed um, or the character gives up, uh, they, they have to erase it and write a new one, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moves. Moving on. Also, there's this like this this art. This uh, dude with his glasses really examining these gems. Um, these crystals. Oh, the gems growing on trees. Yeah, right? yeah. Appraising yeah. them. Um, yeah. yeah um, moves. So we've kind of gone over that. Um, there's a default list of moves, and it's in a separate document called the Patrick um, Play Materials. Um, and I don't know if it's in the book because I only have digital. Um, yeah. Um, there are default moves, and these moves are where, like, move or move the narrative. Um, these are when you roll. This is where your potential to fail is. Um, any character can, like, trigger any of the default moves. Um, the character is also going to pick two, I believe. Each character picks two. Yeah. Um, chosen moves, which are um, more specific, um, and they don't have to relate to your character concept um, or each other, but they can. Um, however, do note that chosen moves can be vastly different in tone and can lead uh, player behavior. Um, yeah, essentially what your player can do um, in the game is going to dictate how they behave within the structure of the narrative of the game. Um, very yeah. straightforward, but good to have it written down. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just the concept of like what you're able to do will determine most of the things that you do. Like if I'm not able to do something, I'll generally not not do that thing often. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if you're unable to do a thing, you won't do it, um, which is, you know, how things work um, inherently. So, um, tracks. Um, so, there are a few different tracks in the game that you'll fill. It's stress, hex, and experience. You start with zero boxes. Uh, stress, stress and hex are kind of your negatives, right? They're, they're uh, when bad things happen. Stress, I think, is more mm-hmm. physical. Hex is more magical. Um, and experience is, the, is experience. Um, you get experience, and you use that to get better. Um, stress represents your ability to continue with your day. Uh, it fills up uh, when someone hurts you or you like exert yourself extremely, right? So if you take 
damage or whatever, you take stress. And then if you like do something incredibly hard, or maybe you do something incredibly hard and you don't totally succeed, you can take a little stress from that. Um, and the hex is the magical variant of that that works, you know, when you're very exposed to high levels of magic or weird magic shit, um, as I would say to my um, player characters. Um, yeah, and experience is your learning, right? As you get better, as you improve. It fills. Yeah. So, uh, so Homeland, this is <laughs> lastly and optionally, name and describe your characters. Homeland, chances are your character's not living there. So try to keep your Homeland description short and punchy. For instance, I come from place name, a place full of people, flora, fauna, and industries. Many of the people there value moral and material over other moral and material. I am like those people because of similarity and unlike them because of different. So it's like an ad lib of just like, yeah. this is me and this is why. Um, and that's it. And that's such a great way also to, to just world build, like all on your own, yeah, especially totally. in something like Patrick. I love yeah. offloading world building to my player characters. I'm like, yeah, go oh, for it. Yeah. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's um, canon now. Those people exist. You're a thing. So. Yep. Period. Done. So, um, uh, how we live. The next section of the play materials PDF is the community sheet. Fill it out by answering. So community provides characters a place to rest a group of friends or colleagues. Um, and while your community should never be outright destroyed as a consequence of a single role, individuals or facts in, it in a community might, uh, have requests and beliefs that don't align with each other and player characters can be called on to solve or find compromises. So what you first come up with is a community type. Uh, the play materials give you four types, village, crew, moral order, and wild folk. Um, each asks questions for the members to answer. Um, these aren't intended as be-all, end-all of community types, and players should feel free to <laughs> rename them or create new ones. So, again, I like that it's a list of four. It's not a roll, it's not a roll, you know, one through four, because then you feel like there's more than just what's provided. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you can change and abandon your communities if you want. Sometimes things are going to change. They, you know, the uh, they could be altered in some way. Uh, maybe some members leave. Um, you could switch community types. Tired of your crew following you around? Turn them into a village. You know, um, yeah. create a whole new community. Just stop associating with one, um, or go it alone. While communities are important to the themes of the game, it's okay not to have one. Um, and then we break into the player principles player principles sorry i was actually looking at the materials the player materials um <clears throat> yeah so these i can really read the titles of and they're and they're uh once again another great um thing to, that can you just carry to any game really honestly in the game, in the game. Uh, because yeah um i think the entry for this is like yeah uh the social skills involved in playing an rpg whether with friends or strangers can be hard to navigate here are a few principles that i uh try to keep in mind i think uh lead to a more fun game for everyone i think the first one is one that is sometimes understated, um, but very important. Be a fan of the players and their characters. Like, be a fan of them. Like, root for their growth. You want to like them and like like be a fan of their their narrative, right? Especially in a game like this where they could potentially have one. Um, you know, where I'm playing bastards, where I'm like, how can I kill these guys so I can have a hell adventure? It's like a little bit different, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, put. Uh, you know, people put a lot of thought into their character, um, and, and you want to support them in that, right? Um, share responsibility. Um, when we touch on this, like, a lot. Um, a lot of the older games, it's like the responsibility is just on the kind of the game master, right? But for this one, it's like pass around the story. Like, let people fill in blanks as well. Um, you know, the, you're not the only one in charge of the world. Um, yeah. Um, ask questions. Uh, be engaging. Be involved. 
um, it can be hard to keep every, uh, everyone's characters um, and everyone's description head. So ask, um, you know, especially as a player, like, is there this in here that I can use? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's like, you know, we were in a garage in my last adventure and like, yeah, is there like a, a vehicle in here I can hide behind? Yeah, absolutely. There's a speeder parked to the side that you can a hundred percent use. Um, you know, uh, be, be inquisitive. Be, that's a good way to keep engaged as well. Um, be clear and decisive. Um, it, that, that's kind of self-explanatory. Like if you want to do a thing, say it, make it clear. This is what we want to do. Um, if you're not sure how to say something, um, in character, try out of character. Um, but be an active player, uh, be open to change. Um, there are things that are going to happen in the world to your player characters that they're, they're going to be changed. They're going to go through hard times. They're going to lose, they're going to gain. Um, so be open to that. Um, really great principles for the game for just any game, really, you know, as a player, you know, you running the game. Yeah. Um, running the game, we've got more principles. Um, and then just to kind of tie up what you said last time too, like I feel like this is what separates a lot of like the old school grognar like kind of fucking gate deep douches from like people that want to enjoy the game that they play. Like you're not against the players, you're also just a different type of player at the table. I, I do, I do, I am not a big fan of adversarial GM GMing. You know, like it's not fun. Like mm. I want to kill my characters because i want to do an adventure in hell but i'm not actively like trying to kill like they've survived you know yeah and well and there's also a huge difference between like a death trap dungeon right where you might a lot of players might die yeah and being an adversarial gm because your characters might die a ton yeah but but your gm could be rooting for you the whole time but you go in knowing hey this is a funnel i've already made 30 characters you know what i mean and that's the fun part of it versus you know someone who's just being a dick to be a dick oh sorry i didn't tell you guys this is a very deadly adventure (laughs) i've never i've never been dm'd by somebody like that and if i had i would have either oh i have (laughs) i would have either stopped playing games or i definitely would have been like that's exactly what i was like yeah, I don't think I'm gonna be I'm any more schedule change. I don't think I'm playing yeah, with the no, old. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah. So, um, also be a good player. Um, running the game. I've had more bad ones of those than than DMs. Luckily, um, I get better. Um, so, uh, playing the game. These are principles. So, change the world. So, this is about GMing. Um, again, so it can be hard to GM. Here, some broad ideas. Change the world. The Patrick world is in flux. The hex is pulled in from across the universe. Have vastly different needs and vastly different landscapes. If the players visit a desert, then return months later, and a river might run through it. Right? Yeah. You know, a tree grows in Brooklyn. Similarly, a self-sustaining. You, you, you get the idea. A, the world turns without the players. Yeah. You know, totally. that's one of the concepts of like the the the. OSR and the NSR and stuff like that that a lot of people are trying to bring back besides rulings over rules is that the players aren't the center of the fucking universe. Like, they are not the chosen ones saving mankind all the time. The world turns, you know? Um, Change the characters as the world changes, so do the people in it. They change mentality, moving on from what they previously thought were universal truths, etc 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 provide problems not solutions when with such geographic upheaval and without the structure provided by large civilization there's a lot of people who need help so they might need help uh, returning to lifestyles i understand this the those needs might fester or clash is the job of the game to show the clashes first through saw saw signals and omens it is not the job of the gm to make sure there's a way to fix them 
You might have a couple possibilities, but the players are resourceful. Let them do that. So problems, not solutions. That, I think, is another hallmark of what I consider good gameplay and what's bad about 5e, where you go, a lot of 5e, you go into it with literally like things like critical role and a lot of the adventures and a lot of the gm tips literally like have you basically write a story and then add sections where you can have the players roll yeah and it's all <laughs> predetermined you know what i mean don't don't fucking do that you're you're providing the solutions and you're basically guiding them towards what you want them to do not allowing them to make their own choice um leave blank spaces the world is unexplored let it stay that way you don't have to answer every fucking question you know leave some hexes where that are curious about you might not go to it um and then again be a fan of the players and the characters we've already talked about that part like root for your players you know yeah. don't be a douche don't be adversarial there's also a it's, piece of art it, here. it is really weird i've never like you know i've run so many games at this point and i've never been in a situation where i am like rooting against my player character like it just seems weird like those aren't you at a table with your buddies you know do you really hate your friends that much i mean i what's what's interesting is how many times we see this because there's a fucking reason that mcdonald's coffee cups say this is fucking hot you know what i mean because some dumbass <laughs> spill on themselves got like 250 million dollars you know what i mean like you wouldn't need this if it wasn't so prevalent which is what i think is even more crazy you know listen like, that lady wasn't a dumbass that coffee was way too fucking hot so what whatever it was like okay sure yes and now people know that hot coffee is hot i i i i hear what you're saying i agree but you, you also understand you, you hear what i'm saying right like like if this wouldn't be here if there weren't people like this why are you friends totally. with these people why are you friends with these people <laughs> why are you hanging out what with is, it? <laughs> what is wrong with you just stop um so uh and then there's a picture of a guy i'm gonna say is he eating that one or is the one just hanging out inside its mouth but there's lots of cats so it looks like my, my fucking nightmare I, is he made of cats like his right hand seems to be yo and the whole left arm is like falling off as cats Maybe he's slowly turning into cats. Turning into the cats. There's a lot of art from Kevin Budnick here, and man, whew, I feel like it's very, very Patrick World though. Um, so moves. Moves. We have some default moves, and I like this section better because it's not a list. So we already have a list of player moves and stuff like that. A lot of the moves feel a little bit more like skills than moves, which I like better than like the basics. But right. like this talks about GM moves and this whole section is about GMing. So when players roll seven to nine, they generally do what they were trying to do, but with the complication. So a lot of times you'll see in these kind of games, it doesn't say like, like when you hit a monster, the monster does this. It says like, if you fail, the GM gets a move, right? And that right. doesn't always mean the monster hits you back, right? It could be a million things. It could be more monsters coming through the door. It could be a pit trap opens up. It could be a million fucking things. And this is a big list. What I love about this is it's a list. It's not a roll table. It's not like it doesn't feel that this is it to me. It's just it's it's written and structured well. So I feel like there's more that I could do. So but here's the list. Inflict stress, inflict hex, inflict a tag, give them a choice, plant a seed, take something away, show how the community feels, ask a question, random encounter, give them what they want. Like Tons of good stuff. Yeah, really. Yeah, very cool. 
Yeah. Unlike the moves other players get, your moves don't require a roll and don't have strict results. Their vagaries, um, almost read that different, um, hopefully allow them to be adapted to a wide range of situations. So there's, there's literally breakdowns of what every single one of these are. We don't have to go through a ton of them, but inflict stress. Simple enough, have the players mark stress. Usually yeah. one to three. They get stressed. And then I think there's like a, um, a stressed move later, right? For example, tell them a large animal is barreling at them or a corrupt noble is trying to intimidate them. And on a seven to nine, they might get some stress, right? Um, every, uh, even once you begin inflicting stress, it can start low and go up as high as you want, um, et cetera, et cetera. Inflict hex. And this is for you magic boys or you boys that like the magic. Um, probably less common. Hex usually comes from dangerous magical sources. I feel like... Um, Hex is Patrick World specific or worlds like it. This is definitely specific to this game. This is a part that's maybe not as primer um, because you might not have a world where magic corrupts, but in this right. world um, it does. So um, Hex usually comes from dangerous magical sources, which means like a swamp irradiated with cursed energy or a botched spell or an angry haunted doll. Um, I love this. Me I love too. Hex. Makes me feel good inside. Um, and, uh, I, I enjoy magic that is difficult and mm. dangerous, you know, like I want people to need to, that's why I don't like sorcerers, man. You just born with that shit. Fuck off. Um, inflict a tag. Um, it, it, we already talked about tags. Um, the witch mentioned, um, uh, a, a witch might give you the tag shrunken. So you could have like a shrunken head. That sucks for you. Uh, it affects your roles. You get a tiny head now. Um, give them a choice self-explanatory plant a seed so when a campaign linked game there can be lots of possible threads to pursue and sometimes it's hard to know which ones sometimes seeds don't come into fruitions but basically it's like giving them a little omen a little a little uh, a little a little guidance you know something that might like tease them a little bit in a direction yeah. that you have a little bit more prepared great idea not railroading them just throw it out there if they don't yeah. take it have more prepared that's it totally i think yeah. I, I think uh, a system that does that really well um, at least in its third-party material, is uh, actually Mothership. Mothership's all about, yeah. like, here are some seeds and some rumors that you can plant around. And I always really appreciate that. It's like, cool, it's the moment you plant it, like, oh, yeah, have you heard about this and this? And they can make a note of it and be like, cool, that's for later. Yep. We'll get to um, it. You know, I love stuff like that. You know what I go back to a ton? And it's, it's I think it's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the game I played the most, was definitely Skyrim. Oh, yeah. And, when Skyrim came out, it was really interesting because it was at the time, I'm pretty sure it was the biggest game ever made as far as like the amount of land your character can travel across. Right. I think I think it was 16 miles or something. If you walked end to end with your character, it was fucking huge. But it also had that like infinite quest generator. Like you literally can't do everything in the game because it'll constantly just be like, oh, hey, you can you help me find my father's sword? Like it will do that forever. But the the storylines across skyrim you can quote unquote beat the game without doing any of them but of course you're right. gonna go do the the the, the brotherhood one i'm uh, that's one of the first things i always do actually my, if, I play, if i play skyrim the one that i never do is the main mission so because no, skyrim's I, main mission story is just medium for me so yeah, yeah. oh take me back to morrowind man because i'm such a fucking proto hipster um, but but what but but the the seed concept is because you you sometimes have to do multiple things to get to those missions and you can follow it or you can just be like nah fuck it I'm not doing that and it doesn't <laughs> make later. you you know what I mean you can move in other directions I love that idea and also the world turns without you it's just a great way to do it so show how the community feels if there's not an immediate consequence 
you know, it, but it could affect the world. It could affect back home. All of those things. You can do that. Um, ask a question. It's always a good thing. How do the cat? How do you? How do you feel about that? Like, what does this remind that? you of? Like, what would what what would you do if this happens? Um, random encounter, self-explanatory. There are random encounter out there. Um, and then uh, give them what they want. Sometimes this is the loaded statement. Give them what they want so they can find out it's not what they wanted all along. A real monkey's paw situation. And uh, that's all the concepts. So next we're getting into fact bait, faction based play. Hit me with them factions, boy. Factions. Um, yeah, um, factions. You should have factions game. It helps fill out the world. You know, it makes it more interesting yeah. if there are like groups that interact with each other. Um, yeah. Uh, while there isn't uh, only one way to set up a scenario, I find it. Uh, I find it's a useful framework. For basic ideas, right? Create two uh, to four factions create an item, place a resource that they all want or need. That's right. Your factions should interact with each other. They shouldn't just float freely in space. What makes a world feel like it's living is this interaction of factions. Um, create a short history between them, uh, noting what they know about each other, uh, name members of each faction, possibly introducing sub-factions within differing interpretations of their main need. Um, there is the village hidden in the leaves, right? But there's also, you know, Donzo and his, like, secret underground, like, hardline organization uh but they're all working it's like for the betterment the betterment of the village yeah. um yeah and just to get rid of those fucking dirty chihas you know um and then yeah, you got the Akatsuki, way, you know? what's up and then the Akatsuki and Itachi and yeah the whole um, uh <laughs> find ways to introduce um the factions to the players uh and i think this is another great area for your um players to be like yeah so help you know what's so this faction exists like who's the head of this faction you know is there anyone in this faction who feels differently about their main goal i don't know it's another cooperative area you know but like i think faction-based play at first time is rife for storytelling but also makes your mm -hmm. world feel like it's moving you know well we, we talked about <clears throat> factions a lot with what um last week when we talked about on their interview too and just like how it it helps you with the idea of like you just said like keeping the world moving things happen without you you can choose not to do something and realize oh fuck like the world's ending now because i just ignored this dude who started a great right, yeah. like, summon cthulhu now we're fucked you know which is great yeah there's a there was a zombie outbreak a few towns over and we're gonna ignore it. it's like well in three months when you guys get back here the country's gone so yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, cool. Uh, making an NPC. Um, you know, it, like it says, it can be intimidating to like, you know, make a bunch of NPCs, but like really breaking it down makes it very easier. Name, look, attitude, desires, and their own stress track, right? The name, um, this should match your naming conventions that you decided earlier. Um, and another thing is, is make it easy to pronounce um, and remember. Um, L's wife is out, but Lumpy Todd is in. Oh my God, listen, if you give them, I gave my character, my player characters an NBC named Brick, and they have never forgotten that guy's name, and they love Brick. They have their own internal narratives about Brick, and they're just like, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. You know, you know, you know how smart that would be on like a psychological level, where it's like, give all the NBCs you want the players to just move on from a name that's a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> and give all the ones you want them to interact with something super easy and yeah. you'll just like subtly guide them through your world <laughs> i don't know i still think at some point someone's gonna be like oh felons while 
Yeah, let me yeah. let me talk to Felon's while. For Here's the thing: minutes. is if you want if you want someone to not interact with your NPC, don't give them a name that they can somehow sexualize. Because the second they sexualize that name, God. Right, they're going to be stuck with that NPC forever. Well, luckily, my player characters killed Brick, so um, they did. Jeez, sorry, they didn't brick kill Brick. Now? Brick got killed. Uh, oh, but okay, okay, so, yeah. <laughs> so uh, name, right? Okay, look. Um, uh, notable features like you don't have to like paint a whole pick a couple Ooh. things you cute, know cute, cute butt is uh cute is butt. definitely words that are in here yeah nice cape. big hair bright makeup cute butt yeah um you know if you forget to give them one another great way to have your players interact is to ask them what one thing about them uh jumps out at you um and is indicative as to who this npc is which i love that Get your player characters mm-hmm. involved. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really realizing that, like I should, I love stuff like that, and I need to be doing more of that with my table because I think they have more fun with it. Um, attitude: um, Are you know, are they a complete dickhole? Are they flirty? Um, you know, what is this person like? Uh, desire: What do they want? I think creating a desire for an NPC is a very strong choice to make because it, may, like, you know because people have desires they have wants it also gives them direction out like a direction like in the world because if they want a thing they're going to be going towards that and when you interact with them they're still going to be towards the thing that they want and if they can use you to get the thing they want they might interact with you more or if you're in the way they might interact with you less and so it really dictates a lot of stuff um <clears throat> stress track um yeah they're, they're they have a stress track so if they get in stressful situations or combat you can track that um Remember, it, it, stress is not purely physical. It also could be mental stress. But uh, yeah, your NPC should be kind of a person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a I really the... love this piece of art, by the way, just real quick. This. Um, oh, yeah. The, the gateway to Something. the cloud dimension. Yeah, it's fucking. No, that, that it's dope. Fucks. It's dope. Yeah. Um, this is uh, Madeline um, Ng. I feel like there's a correct way to say that, and I didn't get it. The, uh, there's a story here called Where the Rubber Hits the Road. It's a little story about um, Aaron putting together NPCs for a new campaign. Great read. We're not going to read it, but great read. Um, so uh, there's a section called Using the Community. So the NPCs of the player's choice community can have lots of use beyond each community's list of mechanical effects. So um, a fetch quest is the use of the community. Everyone knows what a fetch quest is. If you don't, it's literally someone coming up at you and be like, hey, go get this thing. You know, and that could be a person, that could be an object, whatever it is, just go fucking get it. This is an example I use when people ask me about running an evil campaign. I was like, it's exactly like running a good campaign. The person that gives you the fetch quest just happens to be evil. Literally fucking it, right? Are you going to go save the king's daughter or the princess, right? Or is the evil lich sending you to find like a crystal that they can use to summon a demon that destroys the world? You know, guess what you're still doing? You're still fetching something for somebody. You know? I like, you know, I think I think we undervalue the fetch quest. I think it's I think it's nope. a perfectly like n- not we, but I think people are yeah. like, oh, it's like too play. I'm like, but you can make it so interesting. You can yeah. and you can give them like a choice. At the end, it's like, yeah, you went to go do this thing, and at the end, there's a moral quandary. It's like, yeah, you can bring yeah. it back to this guy, but something's gonna happen. And you know, is there a other path that might be morally more correct? But the, the fetch quest, the fetch quest doesn't even have to be like the entire thing too. Like you can be yeah. in the middle of like a mission and be like, oh shit, I need the key. 
Yeah. All right. Like I'm a mentioned mothership adventure. We don't have the the ancient demon sword, you know. Right. And no one gave you that, but it's still a fetch quest. It's just like I got to point D and realized I got to backtrack my steps to pick up this thing to go back to where I was going. Guess what? That's that's kind of a fetch quest. It's just one step on a on a bigger path. Yeah. yeah. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Should the community dislike the players? Yeah. <laughs> Are you doing yeah. stuff that makes the community fucking not like you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think that this is something that that a lot of uh, you know, especially five E murder hobo fucks like isn't used enough against the players. Like you will develop a reputation in the world if you're just murdering fucking everything. You're not just gonna roll up on the next place and everyone be like, oh hey, adventurers are gonna be like, oh these are those fucks. Like you know what I mean? Like use the yeah. community against the players. Like th there are some games and I feel like. It's ne I've never really found like a reputation mechanic I like a ton, you know, that affects gameplay a lot. Um, but having some level of that is always yeah. a, a kind of a good idea. Um, you just if you fuck around, you're going to find out, you know, and yeah, I think not enough people yeah, put that in. So um, should the community dislike the player? So if you feel like they would be hurt by what the player's characters have done, or what uh, or that they would desert or turn against them consider the following have a community member speak out against the characters um have a community member agree with the characters in ways that take them to illogical steps um ghost visits like a christmas story yeah um on difficulty probability <laughs> and getting hurt do you uh I, do you want to do that? i would love to run a christmas <laughs> fucking a christmas story fucking <laughs> game where it's yeah. like yeah you're visited by the ghost of adventurous past that you just murdered um yeah. and well, they when show I, you so, when ahead. i was in uh this consequence the community the consequence let's uh, a let's fucking do that right yeah. <laughs> yeah um but b when i was in dublin um i i joined a uh like a dnd &D meetup there and started running and the people that i met at the table wanted to keep playing after i taught them how to play so we kept playing so i wrote up i did so much research for this i found dragon magazines i found a specific area but long story short you're basically like there's a crown and it, it had like vecna like this whole fucking shit involved where basically they had to go through the swamp um and stop some shit right so after right. one of the first missions they came back and there was like basically like soldier camp and they were doing some of the missions. They came back and were a dick to the leader. And the, the leader was, they were basically like, pay me bitch. And the leader was like, fine, fucking here. And like threw the gold at them. And they're like, all right, peace out. And then like the other guy was like, no, no, no. We like, we really need your help. And they're like, nah, fuck that guy. We're leaving. And the guy was like, all right, then fucking bye. But the player, the people were kind of dicks. And I was like, I don't even want to play these people anymore. So I was like, Okay, so let's do the logical conclusion of this, right? You chose to leave the swamp where they told you if you didn't stop this thing, the world was going to end. You travel for three days. Over the horizon, you see a black cloud forming. A wave of death comes through. You're all fucking dead. The world has ended. Good job being assholes to the guy that paid you. You know what I mean? Like, It's so funny. It's funny because like I play with a table of like really good people that act like assholes in game and so i would love to play for that to play out in a different way that continued forward it's like yeah the world ends now now are you now what are you guys yep. doing you know and all you had to uh, do is not be an asshole to this one guy who's giving you missions yeah. good job <laughs> uh, yeah. so um on difficulty probability and getting hurt when rolling two dice the average of the roll will be a seven that's how math works i don't know why i suck at math but we know it's a seven we've talked about this before yeah. um so this means that for the most part, the players will succeed slightly, right? Because six is half, seven is slightly more. I 
I don't understand why it's a seven instead of a six when you're rolling two sixes. Always going to blow my mind, but it is. Um, they say that I don't consider this win rate necessarily good or bad, but it is significantly higher than many other games. But that means the average will fall into the band of seven to nine, which means mixed success, which is the best part of the fucking system. So yeah. um, if any of the so, players... Yeah, it's the have, best feature yeah. of, you know... Yeah. The whole concept of mixed success is the mixed success. Um, if any of the players at the table want the game to be harder, there's a hard mode, which is cool. Um, connected to mechanical difficulty is a proximity of injury and death. In Patrick World, stress and hex don't heal naturally over time. This is partially a design response to the higher probability of successful rolls, but it's also because filling either meter is in an immediate lose state, which is great. Um, as Patchwork World is, first and foremost, built for multi-session campaigns, it assumes the players will get many chances to engage with the list and the exhausted and hex moves. So you're gonna fill that track multiple times without dying, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's a great thing. Uh, do you want to make genre considerations? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know uh, the genres. There's different genres. So this is made to be uh, completely modular and adaptable at any table. Um, However, you know, Aaron definitely wrote this uh, with some images and moods in mind. Um, so it'll probably be better suited to games that don't rub up against that. Here are some of those ideas. Um, romance um, and some considerations for ro uh, romance. Um, let the players, including the GM, uh, opt out of romance at any time, which is great. Don't force romance. That's fucking bizarro. Um, so if you weird. force romance, it's so weird. Yeah, you know, it's um, so fucking we I don't listen. Having romance is not that weird. Not really my thing, right? But right. whatever, play the game however you forcing want to play. It. But like forcing romance like, listen, that's fucking weird. If you don't know why, right? Or or let's call, let's say romance is a really nice way of saying the things that, that we're also talking about because I feel like we're there's a little bit like you know. You can get weird if you understand what we're saying without yeah, understanding totally. what we're saying. Just uh, Google why Adam Cobol is not uh, in in the fucking TTRPG industry anymore, and you'll understand like what not to do. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and uh, uh, don't use character feelings as a vehicle for player feelings. I.e., like don't use um, in-game romance uh, as a ve vehicle for out-of-game feelings, which I've also heard people doing, um, which is also weird. Um, let players explore what kind of love they're interested in: romantic, platonic monogamous uh poly casual long term uh don't be a creep uh don't be a creep so there's a lot of white space at the bottom of this page and i kind of wish she bl they blew this up to like maybe like 96 and just like filled yeah. the bottom of the page <laughs> with like this this part like this is the basic rules like come on um and fantasy um it like patchwork world's considered to be a fantasy right um having power to fight back against forces that press you uh, not having to worry about money, being able to love whoever you want, having uh, a found family that accepts you for who you are. Um, oh, man. Definitely fantasy. Just throw out there on that out there. Damn, oh. bro. You okay? You want a hug? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, this means the game might be unyoked from the classics of the 20th century. Serfdom, misogyny, slavery, and other staples of the medieval fantasy are not the default here. The players shouldn't justify anything in-game with phrases like, that's how things were in the past. Fuck, I hate that shit. I hate the fuck out of that. People are like, well, it was. I'm like, so we're playing a fantasy game. We don't have to, like, just because the real world has been historically terrible doesn't mean we have to sit at this table and perpetuate historical 
terribleness. <laughs> you well, know? listen, so the Little Mermaid was actually uh, originated <laughs> in a Nordic country. So, and like light doesn't penetrate. Fuck you. Um, and then tone. Um, and tone springs from uh, genre in a number of ways. Um, Aaron says that they're not here um, to tell you how to run uh, or play your game. However, they'd like to flag a few things uh, they're feeling and writing down the moves and encounters, which are few of the, the few components of the game that can point directly towards certain tones. But very true, right? I think the moves um, are really going to push the tone of the game. You know, when in, in Broken Worlds, which is the kills exploding demons, like you can like sit and stare into, like meditate and stare into the great flame to get answers from, from God essentially, right? Or like, you know, you, when you want to attack, you're reaching heaven through violence. It's very thematic, very tone-based. Um, yeah, so most playtesters have leaned into the weirdness and humor. You can play a raccoon thief who worships the god of seeing through walls, or you can play a necromancer cursed to inhabit the body of a Muppet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> read it, read it. <laughs> uh, I think this is basically Adventure Time. Uh, just start with some weird and whacked out things. And eventually, if your path leads there, do some character development. Muppet Necromancer, that's that's on the list now. Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> fuck yeah. So Kermit good. the Frog. Um, you can also start with a more traditional fantasy game. Uh, I made this game in order to div- uh, divest from that. But I'm not going like, to come to your house and stop you. You can be a fire thief wizard you know i'll do that um like yeah like tone is very important you game and 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 let your player characters you decide what the tone is you know how fantasy are we going are we going full board adventure time which i love i'm all for that whimsical shit or Mm. you know are you ryan is this a gritty blood fantasy where you're killing and being killed or not kill not being killed but like is it gritty or, or and being killed? That's fine. You know what's yeah. funny? I can't remember the name of it, but uh, we're, we're, we'll talk about it here in Zemo. But I, I put on the list a project that they called it a whim dark adventure. So it's like both dark and whimsical. I was like, oh, really? Okay. This might be a solid That sounds genuinely ground. disturbing. Usually when things, and then we talked about this a lot earlier. Well, usually when the more whimsical things are, when they become disturbing, the gravity of how yeah. disturbing they are is so Fuck much you heavier. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, speaking about Adventure Time, Adventure Time is a lot of stuff in it that I, I'm like, oh, fuck, I, I, I could not watch this um, if I wasn't sober. Um, yeah, and Emergence Over Realism. Um, this game is not about realism. Um, ha, ha, ha. Um, yeah, it's, it's more of an, like an emergent narrative, right? Um, for instance, in a realism game, a character might not be able to sleep in heavy armor, um, and they might be barred from entering a peaceful or formal place. It's not the case in this game, though. Instead, uh, figure out why the character is absolutely allowed to keep the armor on at all times, such as <laughs> did the advancement uh, that granted them that move also teach them bodily control so that they can wear it in bed? You know, they're just so apt at wearing their ultra-heavy armor. It doesn't bother them. They can swim in it, maybe. Yeah. Um, are certain classes of people, particularly those um to which the heavily armored character allowed to wear armor wherever they go can armor be peaceful and or formal uh find reasons to say yes find reasons to fucking let shit go you know and make it part of the narrative you know like if you're like well this doesn't make sense in my weird whimsical fantasy well make it make sense ask questions to make it make sense and then that becomes the canon you know like yeah you know they're from their culture wears heavy armor everywhere Mm -hmm. it's like a formal thing too it's like cool absolutely they have formal heavy armor 
you know? Yeah. Um, just, just, I mean, part of it is just let players get away with shit that doesn't fucking matter. You know, I'm like, yeah, let, I just let my players be like, do shit, you know? It's not that I say players. yes to everything. But like, like, when, like, are you straight up telling me that every time that your players sit down on a campfire, you're like, okay, so it's going to take four minutes for you to divest your armor yeah. uh, and you can't <laughs> sleep in it. So then the random encounter comes and it takes you five minutes to fuck off. Yeah. Um, and then we have, after that, we have a sample of play, which I highly just reading. I've read it and, and we'll let y'all read it. And a sample adventure, which we don't read on here because by the book. Um, the book. Yeah. And then uh, at the end of the consequences for this sample adventure, which I do love. And then we get to the, uh, the appendices. Um, yeah. Great page the app- here. App- oh, de- the appendectomies. Um, yeah, that, the that appendectomies. Art, that art them. is sick. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all so my for podcast land, it's it's this it's this it oh, reminds sorry. me of like a picture from like the old west times like it's all but like the face is like all scratched out but they have a nice ascot thing on and like a jacket it reminds me of like the death photos that people took in like the weird like early america stuff and the face is all scratched out it's dope though it's sick check it out um Okay, so uh, I, I think we got in appendices. So there's like 14. So um, the first one uh, is a D66 table for personal tags. You got any that stick out to you? Um, let's see. I um, I really like long limbs. I don't know why. And then um, <laughs> I don't know. There's there's a couple of good ones. You know, okay, really. So I, I, I'll <laughs> say I'll say my my really hot's dope. Right next to it is probably my favorite one. It's literally made of wood. <laughs> literally made of wood. Literally made of wood. Um, and then there's more. Uh, we talked about that cute butt, all that stuff. Um, Appendix B but- is character concepts. Um, it's all these uh, for the most part are D sixty six tables. Um, there's some fun ones: Moon Worshipper, Jaded Warlord, Rag Picking Scavenger. Great. Last of a fallen order, right up my alley, right there. Very cool. Yep. Um, appendix C, random encounters. Do you want to pick one out? Uh, I kind of want to roll for one actually, if that's cool. Oh, fucking roll that shit. It's a D six and a D six. I know so what D6. the fuck it is. Hey, I've listen, been if you here. don't know, 34. if you check earlier in the book, it will tell you exactly how it is. A stampede so of small dogs yeah. that cannot be stopped or reasoned with, only avoided, perhaps escaping from an evil puppy mill. Startled by a sudden noise or just migrating. Just that's wild dogs. So, that's so great. Like, I, I so now, now you're going to make me want to do this real quick. I'll just do one real quick. So I got a, I got a 23. Um, so 23 is, uh, oh, I went way too far. Um, 23, the greatest pea farmer of all time, <laughs> laden with sacks of dried peas of every color, looking to sell peas. <laughs> might, <laughs> might need an escort. Aaron, I fucking love you. You're, this is hysterical. Okay, so uh, next one, we're getting to, oh, and then there's a tooth man. Tooth man. Yeah. Uh, Appendix D, hex features. Roll me a D66 for what kind of, uh, what you got on a hex there? 61. Blue ocean with a bit of coastline. And I got 51, a crusty desert. Yeah. That's all about that crustiness. Crusty uh, desert. Ooh, Appendix E, questions to ask players. What do you got for, uh, what? what's your question? Is it 6-6 six, six again? It's um, 24. Dope. What do you got? 
what people take pride in. Oh, that's nice. Um, I got a 64, which is where do people go to hook up? Mm. Mm-hmm. Hell mm-hmm. yeah, brother. Yeah. Kissing, kissing hill. To, yeah. Make out cliff or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rim, rim job valley. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm picking up. I'm picking up Carlos and I'm taking her down the Rimjob Valley. <laughs> oh man! Ooh, all right. Listen, no romance in game. <laughs> Demonetized. <laughs> Boom! If we only were monetized, I'm gonna die on this yeah, anyway. So, um, uh, appendix names. Uh, oh no, appendix F names. What's your, what's the name? What's the name? What you got? Huh? What? Sorry, I'm, I scrolled way down looking at a bunch of other ones. D66. So. D66. What do you got? There's a bunch of really good ones. Uh, good stuff here. 25. You are, you, you're, is it, how do you pronounce it? Buffo or Bufo? What do you think you would be? B-U-F-O. Bufo. Oh, I'm Bufo for sure. Bufo all day. Yeah. So uh, I got a 46, which gives me Nancy. Ah. <laughs> Nancy. Lovely name. Yeah. It's wonderful. I mean, you got Thomasina, Coin Toss, Willa, and Nancy. All right. Uh, ooh, ooh. Straight up sample characters. Why don't you just hit me with uh, 1d6? Two. All right. You got. Oh. Oh, oh yeah. Will, William is nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Full circle. Yeah. The Remembrancer. You're, you're pale with wrinkly skin and stringy hair, incisive eyes, and a nice big jacket. Your Just tags like real are life. old. Yeah, your tags are old and visibly grumpy. Uh, this is supposed to be you, not me. Um, the moves are Ancestral Library and Crystalline Garden, which are in the moves list. Your Marin. homeland is a non-space bubbled. Grew up in a non-space bubbled separately from reality where time passed differently. Uh, you and your people were experiments run by a capricious god. As your people so wait, died... Am I a trans-dimensional wizard? <laughs> Did I... <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah, as nice. the people died, their memories lived on in you. Um, and you now just want the garden and also vengeance. So yeah, kind of. You're like a memory wizard of trans-dimensional proportions. Wow, um, that's I, I actually couldn't have rolled a better one. It was the name I picked. No, you and it's have. like a it's a type of wizard that I constantly joke about. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one, hey, organizations. I rolled a yeah. fifty three. I didn't, but right. go look at it anyway. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We're scrolling, we're scrolling. Oh, the spear witches. The spear um, witches. <laughs> boom. They ride spears and turn things into spears. Your husband, a spear now. Your shoes are spears. <laughs> Ouch. I love the way Aaron writes this shit. Like. It like it went from yeah. informative to just cracking me the fuck up the entire way. Um, I rolled a uh, I rolled a twelve. Ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute. The I saw something that sparked my eye. Well, I, I mean, listen, that I mean that's obviously a reference. The spear witches, yeah. um, the brain trust. Um, <laughs> I didn't even see that one. Kids these days, the Linda. The Lindas. Freedom. The Lindas is a great yeah. one. The uh, squirrel migration of cartographers. <laughs> the not enough cooks. All right. Um. I what did I roll a twelve? Uh, Honestly, I the Bridgers uh, one is really. I'm. A, can I just read it out real quick? Yeah. Read a secret it. Yeah, cabal of spell writers with their own obfus- obfuscated language 
led by two disembodied voices that whisper from a perfect marble cube. <laughs> Dope. Dope. I love these references. This is fucking great. Yeah. I love the kids these days. Uh, but yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah. There's, there's places, there's, like, moves. There's a bunch of stuff after this. It's a bunch of, like, awesome tools that you can use and roll up, and there's a lot of great stuff in it. Um Appendix uh, yeah. M has the safety yeah. tools, and then N has well, inspirational literature. Yeah, the, the only thing I do want to go over though is ah. Appendix K. Oh, option mode. Yes, yeah, hard the mode. hard mode. So if things feel a bit too easy, players can enter hard mode. Uh, players can do this individually and switch back to normal mode at any time. But because this is a social game, keep in mind that once players fail, your snowball. So in hard mode, rolls start at minus one instead of plus zero. Because don't forget, if you answer yes, you get to add pluses, right? So you actually start negative. Players are at an additional minus one if more than three stress are marked. Love that. I love that stress effects. That benefit can only be marked if drawback has already been marked. That's dope. And on a 12 plus, a player succeeds too hard. They do what they intended, but there might be collateral damage. Someone is made aware of them, etc. So when you cast a spell, you do it oh. too good. Your little fireball so becomes like a I fire hit. tornado. If yeah. I hit a 12 or give me enough bonuses to surpass 12, like, yeah, totally. But you're so powerful, you just fuck it all up. So Fuck it all up. I love that. I love hardwood. I think one of the ones that I would I, I might use just as a normal would be if three or more stresses marked, you automatically get a minus that one. one. I, I I, that, that one I would consider just being like, that's just how it works, right? Stress, yeah. stress, right? Like, that's yeah. strain, you know? Yeah, but I mean, also, like, if you look at, like, the game that I'm working on eventually, like, it's literally just about, like, the whole game is shit like that. Where it's like, oh, you got some stress? Yeah, it sucks for you. You got like a minus 100. So yeah, um, that's it. Role-playing game, like you just said, uh, there are some things at the end for um, the appendix in, which makes sense that they got all the way to in and they made appendix in the list of inspiration, which is what the appendix in is. But um, the role-playing games, Apocalypse World, obviously, Passion yeah. de la Passiones, which, which, uh, which Aaron discussed already, um, Pipe Dream, The Veil, Jared Sinclair's 6E, um, which is great. We should read that sometime too. Um, we yeah, should also we should. have Jensen Claire on sometime. Yeah, we um, should. Yeah. Also, Max Lander. Hey, if you're listening, Max, uh, we love your stuff. Come on. I think Max um, was in the chat earlier, actually. He was. He was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were uh, a Snackswell, um, I believe. Yeah. Um, I was getting that right. But yeah, they were. Um, and yeah, we love us a good himbo. And that's it. That's the game. We did it. So, did it. Uh, one, of the, one of the things we need to talk about. So, this is, I mean, it's 45 pages. But one of the things that after we dropped our here, let me let me kick back to an opening screen here. But one more one more look at the cover here. It's beautiful. And then transition. And then look at oh, me. This is us. This is our faces. So one of the things that we we need to discuss kind of off stream, I guess, is how we want to do things maybe slightly yeah, differently yeah, we, this year or some things. We need um, to change our grading methodology because all of our well, we're going through stuff that's so small now, you know? So we'll we'll so I like the grading methodology method. Like, for example, like when I hold up himbos, like I would do this as like a normal grading that we did. You know what I mean? Like, right. I feel like this is, oh man, you know what I never noticed? There's like a library card thing in the back of the himbos book. I love this. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. But um, I feel like this, this kind of book is big enough um, to do something like that. I feel like with books like this, even though it's like 40 something pages, 
a lot like we said a lot of it is like guidance you know as much as yeah. like it is a game so with zines and and one of the things we got with the year-end review a lot of people liked it a lot of people like understood it and re really enjoyed it but a lot of it was just well why didn't you grade the zines because we had a picture of like a, a lot of the zines we went over and there was seriously like what like 16 17 zines we transitioned were, like, really hard the second half of the year we transitioned really hard into just like just well, hanging out zines you know we, we kind of got to a point where we're both like hey listen our lives are both really busy we don't want to do this for three hours all the time let's yeah. do something slightly shorter um also a lot of our favorite creators do zine size stuff like yeah. we we kind of hit a lot of games that are like 200 pages long um and want to do something a little different so we 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 again off stream because i need to go to bed um we got to figure out how I we want to grade that. yeah how we want to grade things like this my my quick spitball is maybe instead of five scores three scores and do something more like system vibe and something like that so totally. we can at least yeah, give yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. so, so we'll listen if you're listening that. right now or watching this and you have suggestions for what three or four aspects of zines we should grade drop it in the comments maybe we'll steal your idea we won't credit you um but i do feel like that means like at the at the, at the year-end review that means we can do you know the five sets of five like we did for the other things but we can do three sets of three for for all the zines we can pick like the top three yeah. vibes the top three systems the top three this or that um and then that'll give people a little bit better um recognition because i did kind of feel bad because a lot of my favorite stuff was in the unscored because they were just for whatever reason like they weren't long enough like there was enough art to because we felt like it would have been a disservice to grade yeah. them I mean, up I've, I've, something that's like 200 pages long you know per usual man i'm just like you know I'm, i play bastards fucking weekly you know like yeah. Yeah. i have every everything that came out for ba the bastards jam i have all i have everything and it's like we didn't grade it <laughs> we didn't grade it yeah there's not a single bit of art outside the front cover you know what i mean so it, it felt like not that we didn't want to but it just felt like it would have been a disservice based on what we were doing at the time so we're gonna tweak some stuff i think like i said the bigger books we're gonna keep the format we have because i feel like we did get into a good rhythm yes, and a good we should keep but we'll make a zine yeah. one yeah, yeah yeah so we'll, drop make, your we'll make a zine one you yeah, know drop it um, yeah. and listen hey if you liked this you should go. You should go watch our stuff anywhere else. Uh, we're at Twitch.tv yeah. um, slash uh, the Adventure Archive. You can find us uh, at Twitter uh, weekly underscore scroll, um, or on YouTube under the Adventure Archive as well, or at uh, Instagram at uh, the dot weekly dot scroll. We just went over yeah. Aaron King's fantastic Patchwork World Sixth Edition, um, yeah. which you can find digitally um, at. AaronKing.itch.io, and for some reason it's E R I N, not. Yep. Well, because <laughs> they're, they're they're awful at branding. Um, yeah, they're and awful. Then, um, then uh, the last thing we got for today is just a, a little a little preview of what the next episode is. Do you know what the next episode is? I think I do. I'm is asking? it the next? Is it the Monday night episode? No, it is Sunday oh. night. I asked because I almost kind of knew. So Sunday night, we're actually talking with Goblin Archives and Josh Demansky. That's who um, we're talking about. Oh, we're talking about Liminal Horror! Liminal Horror! Yes. I've wanted to do this for such a long time. Liminal Horror has kind of blown up um, a lot of stuff. As it um, should. Has, as it should. It's fucking badass. And we really haven't done a lot of horror games. Um, no. So super excited for fucking that. Super it. excited to talk to, yeah, super excited to talk to GA. Super excited to talk to Josh Demansky. Um, great people. That'll be 6 p.m. PST because thank fucking God we finally got creators from the West fucking coast. This is my time zone, bitch. Very excited for that. So 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central. 
Hunter already gave you all our socials. Check us out. Drop us on Twitter. Um, any any ideas you have for uh, for some zine grading. And that's it. We'll see you Sunday night. Hunter, you are wonderful and beautiful. You too. Bye. Bye.